Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And that's why for the past uh, 24 hours, the, certainly the Red Tops have been talking about hot as L, I suppose, as in L places in the Mediterranean, um, or indeed L as in Elsa, because this is uh, some kind of a storm that's battering the U.S. And weirdly, it's a tropical storm and we're getting the benefits of it, weirdly enough. They also call it the Great Irish Bake Off. Uh, 27 degrees, they're suggesting, uh, as we head across the week. Don't about 27. We'll find out in a minute from, uh, uh, from Carlo Weather. But the heat is on and the mirror this morning says Ireland will sizzle this week as temperatures hit, will hit the mid-20s. Nowhere near like what they got in Western Canada or indeed nowhere near what they're getting at the moment. In California, thousands of people are fleeing their homes. The hottest temperatures ever recorded on Earth, they say, over 55 degrees Celsius. Uh, so a lot of the papers talk of that one today. Um, uh, also, um, they're also they're turning up the heat with regards to hospitality. Now, the... I think hospitality itself is still far from happy, but the plans to fully reopen bars and restaurants, that's all been agreed. The major stakeholders were involved in it and it's been rubber stamped and will be rubber stamped by Cabinet today when they agree on it. We'll see the new laws then will be rushed through the doll this week. Now, there is still no actual date Still no definite date to allow pubs and restaurants to reopen for indoor supping and dining. In fact, Ireland, since July the 2nd, is the only country in the EU that still hasn't permitted indoor hospitality services, nor rolled out the digital cert. So, and that's, it's weird actually, we talk of a digital cert in the post. Uh, but vaccinated people will be able to eat and drink inside bars and restaurants. Under 18s can also enter bars and restaurants if they're accompanied, not necessarily by a vaccinated parent now, but another person who has received all their jabs. So that's the grey area. That's where it could cause all sorts of chaos and confusion. Uh, Those who've been vaccinated in the north, those who've been vaccinated in Britain, and those from the US who've been vaccinated will also be allowed entry into bars and restaurants if they show evidence. What about the rest of Europe? In fact, with the numbers, they we're talking numbers again a lot these days. But the only thing about these numbers is that um, people aren't getting as sick. They're recovering faster. And many of them don't have to go to hospital. And those that do are getting in and out of hospital faster again. So that's all optimistic, positive stuff. 576 new cases, 58 people in hospitals. Uh, John Kearns has a couple of stories making the papers today. He's in the Irish Mirror and he's in the Star He says, uh, I had to fly to Spain to get a pint in an Irish pub. Uh, And everything with regards to hospitality is in full swing in the Costa. And businesses here in Ireland are the last reopened. So I'll have an opportunity to chat with him a little later on. But we also have more things to be positive about. We are the highest in the world now for vaccines administered in the past week, uh, which is good news. And they break it down in the examiner. Unfortunately, the papers uh, tend to, uh, you know, into a lot of the negatives. And I suppose you have to be on alert going forward, particularly with regards to the variant. But, you know, people who work in the HSE, like nobody has to take this vaccine or any one of the vaccines. But apparently the Times this morning said that they will be allowed to question staff about their vaccination status. Like, for instance, if somebody hasn't been vaccinated, they may well move that member of staff away from patient-facing duties. 
uh, you know, for obvious reasons. So that's an interesting one. Uh, the Independent this morning talks in quite some detail about, uh, you know, the, and, and the Red Tops too as well as to, you know, what the, what the publicans and what the restaurateurs make of all of this, making all of the papers today. But I just looked at the situations vacant this morning in the examiner. I came across 13 different job uh, situation vacant adverts and 12 of the 13 are either looking for chefs are looking for other members of staff for kitchens of restaurants and takeaways like ad after ad after ad chef de partie chef chef cook head chef head chef head chef um, bars restaurants Indian takeaways Chinese Thai takeouts sit down and take away loads of them in fact it seems to be dominating all of the papers today with regards to, and and some of the ads actually are looking for two three and four chefs, head chefs and cooks and what have you. And those people um, who are on the dole, according to the examiner today, are going to be offered a thousand euro to uh, train or retrain over a new plan to be announced by by the government. The pathway to work uh, strategy, it has to do with dole recipients being offered a thousand euro to retrain, to come off pop even if they can't go back into their old job and get a new one. But we'll have more and more on-the-street dining options, not just in the city and the suburbs, but right across the country. Cork City Council, I imagine County Council are the same. They have issued even more casual trading licences to cater for the increased demand for food trucks and casual dining within the city. I don't know how it's going to go down with restaurants, bricks-and-mortar restaurants and bars that serve food when they get to open. Will they be annoyed at the amount of, say, food trucks and casual dining licences? But more have been added, and the echo this morning goes into the details of them. Toasted in the Tremore Valley Park, Glanmire Ices down the marina, uh, Cortado, at the marina, Mars Coffee and Hearty's Key, Coupla Cafe out in Blarney, and Toast in the Ballinock Park. Uh, but there's no room for offenders in Irish jails. And the Echo says this morning that the revolving door system is back. And they look at female prisons in particular, where they're saying that many, many people, women have been transported in particular to Limerick from courts, having been found guilty and granted temporary release immediately without ever serving one night in prison. Others then spend as little as two or three nights in prison and then they're told they're free to go. There just isn't the space for them, by all accounts. Um, after the by-election in Dublin, they're wondering whether or not Micheál Martin is safe as Taoiseach. And the papers this morning give a list of the alternatives to Hall. Mind you, um, when Jim O'Callaghan kind of retreated a little bit from the questions asked yesterday as to whether Martin should go, I think that the halt against Martin has been halted for now, or the heave, I should say, according to the Mail today. But it's very interesting because on the inside page is the Mail. It says Michael McGrath uh, is one of those that probably would throw his hat in the ring, and they call him the Cork variant. <laughs> the Cork variant. But the Rebels aren't ready to pull the trigger on Michal Martin any time yet. Oh, and you might be interested to know that in Norway, it's now illegal not to label retouched photos on social media and this is a change in law now to make influencers play ball it's illegal from now on for influencers to share retouched photos of their bodies without saying that they've been retouched and apparently influencers or at least some of them do it particularly for promotional posts or stuff that they're being paid to share like they might have a a health drink in their hand for instance oh this is great this is so good for you babbly blah 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 
but their entire body and their face has been retouched, so that won't be allowed. Other kind of medically stuff is a story that makes uh, many of the online versions this morning, and that is uh, an outbreak of syphilis uh, in Ireland. Um. But, of course, the number one topic on many people's minds has to do with last night's match. And all of the papers have front pages and inside pages, not just here, but in the UK today. Like, for instance, The Sun says, they think it's all over. It is ciao. It's going Rome. Many of the papers this morning, it's going Rome. Southgate's Lions disappointed at the line. They actually know at this stage you're given the odds on the 2022 World Cup. It's got Brazil as favourites, France second, England third to 15 to do. The English Times this morning's penalty curse denies England their dreams. And unfortunately, there are some negative stories related to it as well, which I'll come back to in a few minutes' time. The Neil Prenderville Show. But straight to the weather we go, because it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Right across the country, I believe. But I suppose we're very much interested in Cork City, suburbs and county. And the weather to come from tomorrow onwards, but most definitely from Wednesday. And Alan O'Reilly's going to have a busy day today. Carla Weather, they're on Twitter and also on Instagram. And for the inside story, he joins me by phone. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, so um, the heat is on as the papers this morning. Tell all. Yeah, so we have, uh, well, we have some very showery weather today to, to, to get over first, but then we have high pressure building up. Our good old friend, the Azores High, is moving up to bring us some nice, settled, dry weather. Now, it's not going to be clear blue skies every morning. It's not going to be beautiful blue skies all week, but it's going to get better and better and better, and it's going to get warmer and warmer and warmer. So from Wednesday really onwards, it's going to be good sunny spells, and uh, really you shouldn't see any rain after today, um, really for the rest of the week. You might see a patchy bit of drizzle maybe tomorrow. But really after that then, it's going to be a dry week and it's going to get up to probably the mid-20s. So you're looking at 23, maybe 24 degrees by middle of the week in Cork. And then by Friday and the weekend, we could be hitting 25, even maybe even 26 degrees. And later into the week, the best chance of the, the sunshine increasing as well. So it does look like it's, uh, it might be time to make plans for the barbecues and maybe even for the beach later in the week and into the weekend. So the, the, the papers this morning are not over the top when they say the Great Irish Bake Off, 27 degrees. Yeah, it could get up to 27 degrees. Now, that'll probably be a little bit further inland. So I suppose while, while you have the lovely country or the lovely seaside and the, the, you're on the... The, the, uh, the back bottom of the country you're going to get the breeze coming up but you're still going to be Oh I like a good breeze me and 27 degrees way too hot for me it's uncomfortable Yeah well we'll all be heading for the seaside to cool down by the weekend if that happens but yeah it could get up to 27 degrees um, it, really, it really depends on how far inland you go and, and also how much sunshine we get because that's the only part there will be cloud in the morning it'll burn off then in, into the afternoon and, and for how long Will this last? I'm seeing early next week. Are you? You're the professional. Yeah, it, it, it does look like there's a little bit of uncertainty beyond, say, Monday or Tuesday. But I think we're looking at seven good days. So if you're going to make a bit of hay, it does look like you're going to have enough enough good days for that. It, it, the high pressure is going to build up. It's going to come in over us. Now, it could could see a little bit of a low pressure, kind of a cut-off low coming in early next week, which could begin to spoil things again. Or we could see high pressure building back in again. 
So a little bit of uncertainty beyond Tuesday, but we'll have plenty of fine weather to enjoy um, and at least it'll make it a little bit more easy to plan your outdoor dining and hopefully the restaurants and that in terms of trying to make plans, it'll, make, it'll help things there in terms of at least you, you won't be worrying about the heavy rain. You but know? Could you imagine somebody who's booked their holidays for this week? They must be rubbing their hands in glee as opposed to people who were on holidays last week. It's a real lottery, isn't it? It really is. I, I put up a tweet actually last week of someone spinning a wheel and I said that's what it's like booking a week's holidays in Ireland because I had friends in Donegal last week and you know they, they got really one dry day was all they got and they were coming home on Sunday and I was posting these charts showing the fine weather coming and it really is. It's hard because and then you have people messaging me saying they're going on holidays this week and they can't wait. So it is it's a bit of a lottery when it comes to uh, to somewhere in Ireland but look we'll take what we when we get it we'll take it and if we can get up to 25 26 degrees with some nice sunny spells I think we'll all be glad for a while alright you are right about today alright there is some drizzly old showers particularly across the afternoon on Lee side it's a bit on the cloudy side tomorrow but there'll be sunshine through cloud but I am seeing and these are just apps that I look at I mean clearly you look at a lot more different things than just apps but I see Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday with nothing but icons of, of, of sunshine that's all Yeah I mean the sun will come out but it's just it, it could be cloudy to start and as I say and there'll be some areas that will see cloud but no it's just it, it doesn't look like it's going to be clear blue skies as I say from, from morning to evening but they will develop and certainly the sun will shine so don't forget the sunscreen because we don't it. want to be all going around in, in red turn ups after a few you days. got it brother Thank you got it. it it's great to be talking about rolling out the sunscreen for a change I love giving out warnings like that really and truly Alan you're the greatest thank you for delivering such great news and we've a lot to look forward to this week on the weather front have a good day today appreciate it Cheers, Neil. Alan O'Reilly at Carlo Weather on Twitter and indeed on Instagram. I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I, f- I feel a sun song coming on. What? Glenn Frey and the heat is on. So I imagine all of the outdoor hospitality and dining options and all of the patios and car parks and With Tesco, fundraising 6 million euro for Children's Health Foundation Temple Street. Imagine all of those are going to be very, very busy over the next week or so. So be careful. If you want to book somewhere, I wouldn't hang around. I know a lot of them are walking, but there's going to be huge, huge demand because of the weather and people be heading to the beach and stuff like that. I was down east yesterday and y'all was rocking. Lots of people on the beach and restaurants starting to open up now. Some great outdoor dining opportunities for you. Clancy's have put in the most fantastic um, area just outside the bar there and they've done it all up and it's all on fresco there and it looks fantastic and the boardwalk is finished as well and you can walk all the way now pretty much the entire entire beach it's fantastic uh, so the heat is on lines open at one 106 calls, texts and comments on the way text the Neil Prenderville show now 086-8104-106 Red FM and you can text 086-8104-106 I'd say many many people in Ireland God knows in the UK they certainly did were watching the match last night there was a, just ahead of that actually there was a, a lovely article a two pager in the Telegraph on Saturday and it's a bit of nostalgia for it because Saw an interview this morning with uh, Bono's son, who's a pop and rock star in his own right, and he was saying that many of the people that like his music and support him don't even know who you two are. They're too young to know anything about you two. And it got me thinking about this article, actually. It was a double-page spread with Sir Jeff Hurst. And he, of course, scored a hat-trick in the uh, World Cup victory over Germany. 
think it was West Germany at the time. Mark will correct me on that. Um, back in 1966, and he was saying, and I'm, and I'm, I'm posing the question that maybe an awful lot of people weren't around for the 66 World Cup. Don't recall. I don't recall it. I mean, my first vivid memories of World Cup would have been 1970. I can remember before that on black and white television sets, but I think it probably was European games, you know, European championship games, as opposed to uh, the 66 World Cup. Uh, But he was, anyway, the article had more to do with the difference between the World Cup heroes of 66 and the current crop of players. Like, Hurst scored a hat-trick for England in the World Cup final and is a sporting legend. But when it came to salary uh, or when soccer finished up with them, it was very unkind. In fact, for most of the winning World Cup team of 1966, like he had to go out and get a job. And 10 of the other players who had entered football's hero um, status in 66 also had to go out and get jobs for themselves. Nothing wrong with that, but they weren't the greatest paying jobs in the world. In fact, Sir Jeff Hurst even spent some time on the dole. And the article was saying on Saturday that if and when England win Euro 2020, the likes of Harry Kane, his biggest problem will be finding ways to spend the tens of millions of pounds that he will earn through advertising, sponsorship and salary. If England were to win and of course they didn't so he's probably not going to make as much with regards to advertising and sponsorship deals but his salary won't be too bad I mean they are earning a lot of them over 300,000 a week so Jeff uh, had to go back to work as um and as, as an insurance salesman other members of the 66 winning team were undertakers travel agents raffle, raffle ticket salesmen road haulage workers, nothing wrong with any of those. Uh, but when you think of what they actually did, he said in those days, footballers tended to do one of two things when they stopped playing, running a pub or getting into insurance. He went into insurance. He says, it may seem incredible that in the era of soccer players now making £300,000 a week, the 66 World Cup winners had no financial safety net whatsoever. He went working for Abbey Life and he used to cold call people on the phone. I mean, World Cup medal, hat trick in the World Cup. And he'd ring people and he'd give his name saying, hi, I'm, I'm Jeff Hurst. And your man at the other end of the phone would say things like, if you're Jeff Hurst, then I'm married to Marilyn Monroe. And they'd hang up on him. Stuff like that. Then the article went on to talk about things like, um, he said, I ended up working for a mechanical breakdown insurance company. I went around garages trying to sign up new clients, new garages. Um, One guy, uh, I gave him my card. He threw it back at me and said, I don't deal with former footballers. He signed on the dole. Uh, for £25 a week when he was sacked as Chelsea manager in 1981. He said, looking back now, it seems crazy that someone who's been involved with England winning the World Cup was on the dole. Uh, It was the equivalent at the time to walking on the moon. Now, he wasn't whinging in the article. He was just saying, my attitude was that the past was forgotten and leave it in the past. Um, They earned £20 a week when they were playing, £15 in the summer. And they got a £1,000 bonus for winning the World Cup in 66. And he went on to say, there are only four of them left now of the entire squad. Sir Jeff Hurst, George Cohen, Sir Bobby Charlton and Roger Hunt. And they're all in their 80s, obviously. Gordon Banks, they figure the greatest goalkeeper of all time. They say in any country, the greatest goalkeeper of all time. In 1980, he was sacked as the manager of non-league Telford United. 
But they gave him a new role within the club and he was told that his new job, Gordon Banks, was to sell raffle tickets at the supermarket. He needed the money so much, he agreed to do it and he said it was the most humiliating time of my life. Um, Jeff Hurst sold all of his World Cup memorabilia because he has three daughters and he figured you couldn't divide a World Cup medal three ways. So he sold it and he split the money with his three daughters. They asked him in the article finally, what about the boots that scored the hat-trick? He said, um, no, he said, the boots are a strange thing, he says. I can't remember the boots. No idea where the boots finished up. Certainly not in a museum and certainly not sold for, I imagine today, for a six-figure sum, maybe more. Um, I just thought it was a super article. I hope you enjoyed me sharing it. Mark joins me in the studio. Do you find that interesting comparison? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because it just you just couldn't see it happening with today's money in the game. Just no chance. I mean, 1966, and many of them, unfortunately, most of them are dead now. There's only four alive. But struggling um, just to keep a roof just over their heads. Just meet. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. And yeah, like I said, I, I couldn't see it happening with today's, today's football. <laughs> I texted you before the match last night <laughs> you did. and I said penalties. <laughs> you did. And I and I replied anything but penalties I think. Um so but, it was written in the stars. Wasn't but it? was it though? I mean 2 minutes in a goal. You couldn't have expected a better start. You know, but that the, that the big problem with last night is that my excitement level peaked 116 seconds into the match because that's when Luke score, short, scored that goal. And, um, and I, I lost my voice a little bit afterwards because I did shout very loud, so apologies to my neighbours. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but did you expect then, I mean, were you saying, oh, this is not good because there's 88 minutes now to defend? Do you know what? No, it actually really... You know, perked me up, and I thought this this could be a really good sign because obviously they scored early in the Denmark game, and um, not the Denmark game, sorry, the Croatia game, and uh, and I thought, you know, they, they've got the, they've got the talent here to do it, but they 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 weren't the better side for the rest of the match. Why do they have thirty eight percent of the possession or something, something like that? And um, shots and shots on target were well below the the Italians, and it's fair to say the better team won. And they just kind of sat back and they just kind of didn't want to for a second goal and, it, and so the Italian goal which came in the 67th minute was, was always coming in my view that's the way it seemed I mean what's it what, I mean I remember Italia 90 like as if it was yesterday <laughs> my heart beating in my chest not being able to breathe <laughs> particularly at the penalties yeah. I mean what, what was it like you know, it must have been hell sitting through it. it I was tempted to leave the room but I didn't I, stu- I stuck with it but, but it, you know what it, it was karma coming back to get me because when, when Italy and Spain had their penalty shootout a few nights ago I, mean, I, I sat there going oh, I said oh this is lovely this is sitting watching a penalty shootout and you don't mind who wins brilliant entertainment so the moment I said that the other night I thought this, this is definitely going to come back to get me and, and England are going to go out to Because penalties are a lottery, are they? Or is there, there's clearly skill involved to some extent. Um, but it seems like a very unfair way to lose a championship. If you lose, yes, it is a very unfair way to lose a championship. If you win, you've forgotten all about the penalty shootout. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, it is fair to say it's a lottery. But of course, there's a lot of sco- um, skill involved as well in, 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 in the, having the experience to take that big occasion on. And that, I think, plays a bigger part almost than the but, skill of the footballer. But the criticism now, not against Marcus Rashford, because he's a super player, but to bring any player on two minutes before the end of the game who hasn't kicked a ball 
and ask them to. They're not in. They're not in game zone, are they? No, both him. Take a penalty. And both him and Jaden Sancho came on. Their, I mean, the first touch of the ball in the whole match was taking. Sorry, there was two of them brought on. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so both of them, their first touch was to kick the ball in a penalty shootout, and your, your mindset's not going. You, you've got no rhythm. It's your first kick of the, the ball, exactly. Yeah, so a big gamble and a gamble that that, that didn't pay off. In fact, I've got a clip there of, uh, of Roy Keane who was. Um, Do you want to run this clip? Yeah. Well, Roy Keane was on ITV yesterday, and he was after the game. Um, he was kind of criticising the fact that because the the. the the, the last three players that, that missed their penalties were very young. They were 19, 23 and 21. And Roy suggested that maybe the senior members of the team maybe should step forward. And if you're Sterling or Grealish, you cannot sit there and have a young kid walk up ahead of you. You can't. I don't you care if they, you are. You think they should have volunteered? You, have, you can't sit there and go, I see a young kid, 90, a child walking up in front of me. And I've played a lot more games. I've got a lot more experience. Sterling has won trophies. I'm not saying he wasn't prepared. Garrett might have been thinking you're going to be six or seven. You can't sit there. That must be hard to take. You've got to get in front of this young kid and say, listen, I'll step up before you. Forgive, forgive me, though, but don't you volunteer for penalties? Southgate wouldn't have said, you, 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 you. I assume so. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the selection... I mean, I know Gareth Southgate's come out now and said that it's his responsibility for the penalties and the picks and everything, but of course the manager has to say that. He's going to, of course, he's going to take responsibility. So I don't know the ins and outs of the selection process. Yeah, I mean, they missed three, but easily missed two. They did. Yeah, huh. but two's not three. Is it? <laughs> it makes a big difference. I mean, I, I would wait for the. Do- I know nothing about soccer, but I would wait for the keeper to commit and, and then kick the ball. Maybe, yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, well. What can I say? What can I say? But uh, there's another keen clip. Well, actually, this is more visual than anything. Is it? It says, "Explain this." He was he a pundit for the ITV or yes, something? Yes, he last was night? on ITV last night, um, and. Obviously, England scored. Luke Shaw put the ball in the back of there after two minutes. I was watching the wrong channel then. I watched BBC and the Kino was on ITV. Damn yeah, it. he was on ITV, yeah. But I mean, I, I watched BBC's coverage last night as well. But um, the the goal went in and the other two pundits were Ian Wright and Gary Neville. So they're obviously going to celebrate. And Key decided to, well, decided to rescue them from a, a fate worse than death. This was the reaction here with that goal in 1 minute and 57 seconds. As you can imagine, great celebrations on the right. And look at the, look, Roy making sure that the T doesn't go everywhere. Gary just tried my notes. I spent the next 20 minutes, to be fair, getting the wrath of him for knocking his coffee over. I'm a team player, obviously. He's a tea player. They were hopping and lepping and he moved the tea so yeah, they didn't So they're bouncing it. around on their, like, well, they're on like a studio platform that's not exactly really secure. And so they're jumping up and down. You can see the tea sloshing around on the but table. But Keane is the, cold, clean, uh, the cool, clean hero. He, he oh. wouldn't be jumping around. No, but he's calm and he picks the teas up like a pro and just moves them to one side so uh. um, I mean he, he like Southgate's a cool dude I mean he didn't show any emotion at the game, no, game. And, and I like Gareth, Gareth Southgate and I know you wanted, wanted them to win just for him because um, he is such a likeable character and there's a story there there's you know missing the penalty in 1996 Six, against yeah. Germany in the semi-final and, and, and then coming full circle almost so that you know it's a great it would have been a fairy tale story I guess but I, should, nice- I should add fair play to I'm talking a lot about England's 
lot missed opportunities, but Italy were the better team, and they just they were well deserved winners. They were coming at them like bees around the honeypot, weren't they? Really, constantly, constantly, constantly. <laughs> but un- unfortunately, like with everything, it has its darker sides, and you had these thugs bar- barging past the barriers into the stadium. Was that or was that not National Front related, or was it just fans desperate to get in? I can't. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'll drift dangerously into opinion, but um, I, I can't see anything that, that sort of sticks a label on on who they are but obviously um, uh, English football hooliganism and and, and thuggery is often associated with that nationalistic sort of national front side so you know it's, it's, it's more than possible, you know, you get that stereotypical. It's the it's the the, the skinhead with the St George's cross sort of thing. But again, that's that. I, I don't know. I don't know sure. either because it was somebody's mobile phone. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the booing was a bit over the top, even I again do, through it's the anthem. Something that has wound me up through the whole tournament, and I haven't seen it happen at any other. Obviously, the stadium, the, the matches were played in stadiums right across Europe, and I haven't seen that happen at any other stadium. And then at Wembley, you get the booing of the national anthem by the Eng- England fans, and I just think it's shameful. And and, and there's no place, and it's something that's totally. It's, it's not even. You could just say it's it's an English thing because I've never seen it happen at Twickenham, uh, at, at tennis championships, uh, uh, you know, rugby. You, you or whatever, do you cricket. do see Djokovic freaking out at the amount of support any opponent will get over him. Yeah. Not booing, but, no. you know... But, but just that they're, they're backing the, the, the opposition the, player. Anybody but Novak kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? And that's okay. I mean, particularly if it's an underdog. I understand yeah. that. But, and I think it was inevitable. I thought this was would happen after uh, Saka, Rashford and Sancho missed their penalties. They became the targets of awful racist abuse Particularly on their own social media channels. Yeah, yeah. As you say, it's the three, the three, the three players who, who happen to be black players that missed the penalties: Rashford, Sancho, and and um, and Saka. Um, and there's just no place for it. I mean, it's almost as if of a certain proportion of of English fans not learn anything from the message the players are trying and to send so out thick, over the past four yeah, weeks. And they're so thick. Yeah, and they're so thick that these three would have been heroes if they'd scored. Exactly. Yeah. That that's just it. They would have been cheering them to the rafters had that had all three penalties got hit the back of the net. So yeah, it's, it's the shameful, ugly side of and and, and I was yesterday. I, obviously, my the social media I was following it yesterday afternoon, and you had the the incident at Wembley with with, with people trying to to get into the stadium. You had scenes in in Leicester Square where there was um, uh, missiles and bits and pieces being thrown. Not 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 a pleasant atmosphere. And I was sat there thinking, oh, do you know what? It, it almost turned you against them. It was like, do you know, what? I, I hope they lose. And then a, a couple came on. I was watching Sky News, and a couple came on. A really lovely couple from Birmingham in a fan zone, and they were just the loveliest people. It's like, no, I want, I want them to win for the, the millions of lovely people, the kids that have stayed up late. I to felt watch the awful for the kids in the stadium in Wembley. Yeah. Small little boys, small little girls, <laughs> there, twenty twenty one, like sixty six, yeah. hoping that their team would win, and then not. Yeah. So they've got to deal with all of that. But how will Sacco and Rashford and Sancho process this now? And indeed, like. They'll need, they'll need to be minded, won't they? They will. And the, I suppose the good thing, the one thing, I mean, it's, it's horrible for any of them, but at least there's, there's three of them, I guess. It's not, it's not like Gareth Southgate when it was one player missed the penalty and the attention's on them. At least, you know, there's a number of them that miss penalties. And also they've but got... But the biggest no, problem will be for Bukayo Saka, won't it? it? Did he miss the last he one? He missed the very, the final one. Oh. At least he's got no better manager to console him. God, than, he's than so the, young than, to have to carry that. And that's just it. It's like, would you really, as, as Roy Keane was saying, would you really put a 19-year-old on the, the fifth penalty, the biggest penalty you could 
Kane is criticising the older players for not stepping forward. But, to Kane, but but Harry Kane nailed it. Yeah, Harry. I mean, the, the first two penalties, Kane and Maguire, were you won't see better penalties. They were absolutely stunning penalties. But obviously, there's there's the slightly more senior players that didn't then. Why did Sterling take a penalty? Well, he wasn't in the first five, so we've no idea where he would have come in the list. Does it mean he didn't offer? Again, it's not something we're privy to at the moment. So. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know. You know what the the, um, the English press are like. I'm sure it'll be all over the papers. Okay. Well, that's the way it goes. So uh, you've always got Qatar. Do you know what? And that's the, that's the thing. And, and I'm we're not in the World Cup, are we? Not not yet. I anyway, don't think the qualification hasn't finished. No, yet, it's so not. No one's. Yeah, no one's don't in there, in or, or out. But um, there's a uh, there's a on the inside pages of the Times in the UK this morning. There's a headline that says, "Bad times have never seemed so good. Bring on the World Cup." That's and I it. thought that summed it up perfectly. For Just me. move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going Rome, but move on. It is, and well done to the Italians. Very right. worthy winners. All right, my man. Thanks for stopping by as always. One and only Mark Willington. Your thoughts on that are welcome. If you have an opinion or any thoughts, text 0868104106. Somebody was asking, um, everybody is asking, as the influencers and bloggers would say, what article I was referencing, the Jeff Hurst article, Saturday's Daily Telegraph. A fantastic double page spread from Saturday's Daily Telegraph. Track it down for you. You find it online at this stage, I'd imagine. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red. FM. I haven't seen any interviews with uh, Gareth Southgate, but undoubtedly they're there. I just haven't seen any, but I know that he said um, that the result um, and the decisions taken, he says, it's down to me. I de- he said, I decided on the penalty takers based on what we've done in training. Nobody's on their own. That's my call. It totally rests on me. He said, they were the best takers we had left on the pitch. We win and we lose together. So that answers one of my questions earlier on. He said, I decided on the penalty takers based on what we did in training. Uh, Well, unfortunately, maybe there wasn't enough training or maybe it was the moment. You know, it's a big stadium. It's a a big, big championship and anything can happen. Some one of them said last night, I think it was, um, was it Gary Lineker or one of the others said that their legs turned to jelly The longest walk you will ever take is walking to the penalty spot. Anyway, we'll come back to that if needs be. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. On Friday, I chatted with Stephen from Douglas, who was off on his 26-hour challenge. 26 hours, as in 26 counties. He had a list of 26 counties and randomly picked one of them, uh, used an app to flip and up came Mayo, and that then meant that he had to go to Mayo for 26 hours. And we chatted on Friday with regards to his plans and his itinerary. I said I'd check in with him Monday, see how it went. He should be back. Imagine he's back on Lee side now. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Are you back? I am back, Neil. I made it back in one piece, just how, about. But okay. How did it go? Did you get to climb Croke Patrick, for instance? Yeah, I did. Um, I did, and it was much, much tougher than I thought it was going to be, to be quite honest with you. I, I got out of the car, I literally asked a four-hour uh, drive and started climbing up the mountain. Um, but it was, it, 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 when you do a bit of research on it, it will say the first, it comes in three sections. The first two are apparently easy enough, and the third section is a bit that's quite tough. So if you can imagine, the pathway up is pretty obvious. It's at its narrowest, about a footpath wide. You can see them actually um, going up that section. I saw them during the summer and I was thinking to myself, that seems like a fairly casual climb. But you're saying that's only the beginning. 
Yeah, at the beginning is actually quite tough because it, it gets to, it, it's kind of like climbing a path of hill with rocks on it, if you know what I mean. That's kind of what the gradient can be like in the first part of it. But when you when you get up to the crest and you look up at the top part of it, you don't know how the people aren't actually falling off the side of the cliff. I mean, it looks vertical. It, it's it's horrendous. So I was if I hadn't been speaking to you on Friday with the expectation of talking to you today, I'd have made my excuses and turned around and gone straight back down again. Go away. But you had the right yeah. gear on, surely. You had climbing boots or some kind of boots, did you? No, I did. I, I kind of started off in a tracksuit and I had a bag with me. So I had some, I had, a, you know, a good pair of leggings and a jacket, which I needed because it was quite cloudy and wet, which is a bit of a disappointment because when I got to the top, I could barely see my hand in front of me. It was that foggy. Um, so I used all that, gloves and hats. And uh, of course, I bought the mandatory stick, which you have to buy when you start off <laughs> at, the, at the bottom of it. But uh, I was shattered within about 100 metres. And Neil, I thought I was in trouble. I was. Um, That's amazing because people of all yeah. ages climbed out. I was talking with the lady on the air last week who literally crawled on her hands and knees and had the blisters to prove it uh, when she climbed Croke Patrick uh, and actually had to be helped to the summit and back down. Kathleen was her name, 77 years old. Uh, but, you, but you did it. You did it. I did. I, what, 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 show, what showed me up was I was kind of complaining on the way back down again. It was so tough. And I passed by four kids the eldest must have been 12 and they were all barefoot coming down and I was like fair play to you if, if you can do it like that then I'll shut up and, and, and get down those why would you do it barefoot I have no idea but they do they do there's a cross at the top is there Stephen um, I didn't see a cross it, it was that foggy when I got up to the top there was a there was a big white I think it was a kind of a churchy kind of building um, but literally you, you would have you almost walk into it before you'd see it it was that foggy up there um, and there was just a sign saying welcome to the top of Crow Patrick. Uh, I think there might have been a toilet there too, but that was shut. Okay, okay. So there wasn't a, a horse box up there doing cappuccinos or flat whites or anything, no? <laughs> no, but as you were going up, people, when you got about 20 metres from the, from the top, people knew you didn't know you were that close to the top, so they'd give you a bit of encouragement to say, <laughs> well done, you're close by. And the big slagging was, the Guinness isn't great, but it's open. <laughs> a few of us thought there might be a pub up there, but there wasn't. <laughs> so, that segues nicely to the rest of your trip, because it was an overnight. What else did you yeah. do? Oh, Neil, stop the light. Have you been to Westport, have you? I have. I like it. Oh, oh it was massive. And it was, when I actually arrived, I didn't realise it was, I was, I arrived in day two of a three-day Pride Festival over there. So the place was like festooned with all the, the rainbow uh, um, um, flags. Flags and, and bunting, great, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was great crack and, and I kind of, it was difficult to get a restaurant because the place I was staying didn't actually have one. It was a and b called Clunine uh, Guesthouse. So, but it was downtown Westport and I just kind of wandered the streets and this is a typical Ireland meal. The first pub I walked into, there was a lad I hadn't seen from Cork for 10 years with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 sat down and had a great old catch up, and uh, outdoors and the in the outdoors in the in the beer yeah. garden area is it? Yeah, and it was lovely. The temperature was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Um, so I found a gorgeous, a lovely uh, pub restaurant called Hoban's. Um, really good gastro food, and uh, I just literally, you know what? Sat down on my own, had a lovely pint, a glass of wine, just kind of watched life go by, and just kind of sauntered back. I uh, did one or two pubs on the way back to the B&B. And, uh, but I, I do have one confession to make, though. I did tell you it was a 26-hour challenge. Um, it, it, ended up, it ended up being 27 and three quarters because the B&B I was staying in didn't start breakfast until 8 o'clock. And they had a massive Irish fry, you know, the full Irish. So I said, right, I'll take the hit. So my next challenge, whenever that's going to be, 
I had to take a, four, a 45 minute penalty <laughs> as I took 45 minutes to have the full Irish well it's, worth it it's a great idea for people because you're going to do it again you're going to spin mm. the wheel again for another county are you? yeah I am I was um, yeah I'm, I was thinking of doing it in August but I actually have a few things planned for August so I made it for until September so um, yeah the I, I was looking through the list actually over the weekend I was beginning to see the possible things I could be doing so there's, there's quite an eclectic mix like if if I go to Cavan, I could end up going to the Tibetan Buddhist Meditation Centre. Um, or in Carlo, there's a place called Ranch Riley, which I'm almost tempted to want to go to. Yeah, but you can't cheat now, you know. It's not as if you can spin twice when you don't get Cavan. You know, you got to no, go I to can't. wherever it stops at. No, she got help us. When I look at the Cork list, one of the places is Kilcray Friary, which is fabulous. But I know it very well because it's literally across the road from where my brother-in-law lives. Um, I was there actually on when I was there uh, during the week. I took Jack out there to the friary, and then I walked across the road. There's a castle through yeah. uh, a farmer's field. I'd love to know more about that castle because it's in great condition. But I got I got taken to task actually online because I posted a video of myself and uh, Jack walking through what I thought was a wheat field. Um, and here's a text from Tomas. He says, on your Instagram last evening near Kilcray Abbey, you told Jack, your dog, that the two of you were walking through a wheat field. It's no wonder the dog looked back at you stupid. I think even Jack knew it was a field of barley. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Oh, you? So you, you get away with nothing on Lee's side, as you found when you went to when you went to Mayo and met a couple from Cork. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Why don't we spin? Why don't we spin live next time you're doing it on air? I'd I'd, I'd be delighted to do that, Neil. I, I, I'll give you a call in advance and let you know when I'm doing it. I'll, I kind of have it all set up, and the promise is I'll take the spin wherever I go. I go, and I'll, I'll, there'll be no complaint. <laughs> okay, don't leave it too long. All right. No, I won't. Listen, I'm going to ask you one favour just before I go. Um, I'm, I'm part, one of the reasons I'm not doing the thing in August is I'm doing an event that I've done for the last couple of years called the Tour de Munster. It's a cycle event and it's kind of taking us throughout Munster. It's, it's a cycle. Um, so just wanted to give it a plug. And if anybody was around, I think it's the 8th of August. I know it's a bit away, but we all end up on the top of Patton's Hill. And the buzz that's up there and the support that we get, assuming it's all COVID friendly and, and safe and... and um, Spaced out. It's a it's a great it's a great hour or two just to kind of spend and uh, congratulate the people who've been doing it. It's a great charity as well. But Tour de Monster means you cycle around parts of Monster, do you? Yeah, we do. It, it's it, we cycle around all of Monster. It's about a six hundred and fifty kilometer um, spin over Bloody four days. Yeah. Bloody yeah. And uh, obviously, it's for charity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's for the the primary charity is for Down syndrome Ireland. Brilliant. So it's a, it's a great job. They have they they literally every town and village we go into. The, the Down syndrome community is there and the crap they bring it's just they really um, Tour de Monsters so do you stay overnight in different destinations as you go along? Yeah we stay um, yeah we stay with three nights the first night we st- we used to stay in Killaloo but this year it's changed we're in Limerick the first night then we're in I think it's Tralee the second night and we are in Kenmare the third night Alright and if so people want to get involved how can they do so? Um, at this stage, it's full. So there's a kind of Brilliant. a limited group. We're, we're, we're training. We train pretty hard now over the summer. Um, about 140 people going. But they can literally, on the day, I know there's lots of people who are doing it, including myself, who are looking for sponsorship. There's also, on the day, there's lots of bucket collections, I think, throughout the villages. So and watch out for them on the... Uh, and does watch it culminate out. on the 8th of August, then, on Patrick's Hill? Patrick's Hill. We get up there about 
so um, between four and five o'clock is kind of when we, we crest the hill. <laughs> and so it's going to uh, be a tough climb. Oh, tough oh climb. stop it, Neil. You have no idea, man. All right. Well, listen, good luck with that. And we'll spin the wheel next time for your next 26 county challenge. Great to catch up. Thanks for sharing the story. Much obliged to you, Not at all, Neil. Take care. Yourself. Take care, my man. Back after 10 on 1850-104-106. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Cork's Red FM, officially Ireland's music station of the year. Talking about bringing it on, actually, the great weather. Um, of course, we are trying to work out exactly what date and what they'll agree on. It's already been signed off and rubber stamped and the cabinet will be told about it this morning. And then the rest of us will get to find out, will it be the 19th of July that the rest of hospitality opens? Will it be the 26th? Seamus Whelan was telling me this morning that a date that's been talked about now is the 23rd of July. But we're paddy last with regards to this, and many are saying we need to catch up. In fact, the vintners this morning are calling it Father Ted politics, the way things are rolling out and the decisions are made. They say it's like a farce from a comedy show. You couldn't make the script up. But, as I say, bring on the weather, um, and we'll look forward to that, because we certainly deserve it. Um, Meanwhile, though, somebody who is getting the great weather is John Cairns, and we spoke to him recently. He's out now working for the Mirror, and he's got an article in the Star as well this morning with regards to how things are going on the Costa, down around Marbella, Malaga, and areas like that. Mad keen to talk to him on a load of different levels. He joins me by phone. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. First of all, how 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 did you manage getting out? Like, because I know you're doubly vaccinated and everything. But what's the protocol well, at Dublin know. Airport, or what was? Well, first of all, um, like I'm a journalist, so I'm an essential worker. Just move around a bit there, John, because it's breaking up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I said I'm a journalist first and foremost, so I'm classified as an essential worker, and I was going to Spain on a job. Yeah. to do a number of stories yeah. and that's why I came out here and I particularly wanted to do one in relation to the travel how, how what was going to happen and how it was all going to play out and how do you get through the airport yeah. and how do you get past the police checkpoints and what do they ask you you know so I, I went down the tour so it was two days after the EU um, uh, COVID vaccine certificate uh, officially came into being across the whole of Europe except Ireland. Yeah. You know, and as everyone knows, it doesn't come in here until next Monday, which is the 19th. Yeah. So, look, I had no problem. When I got to the airport in Dublin Airport, there was actually no guard at checkpoint. So, and there was nobody, uh, there was no guard at checkpoint. We got, I got straight through. Uh, passport control, there was no guard there either. I got straight through. Uh, I got my Ryanair flight. Uh, flew to Malaga early morning flight past seven. The flight was probably two towards full. Um, a lot of families with kids uh, uh, going out. I spoke to some of them. Some of them were going out for a month or two months. They were going to walk from here. They'd actually rented accommodation in Spain. They were sick of the weather. They took a chance and uh, they just got out and were going to walk from here for the next month or two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people was elderly people who got holidays here that were coming out here for the summer. They've had enough of Ireland, enough of Netflix. Uh, enough of COVID and they didn't care. They were doubly vaccinated and their view was they've only so many years left. They've already lost a year and they were coming out to Spain and they haven't been here in about a year and a half to their homes here. So that's that's what was going on. Um, so it was a busy enough flight. We got into Malaga. Uh, you had two, you know, two checkpoints. Basically, you had passport control when they wanted to see your passport and then they had what was called a, a health checkpoint and this is where they wanted to, you know, they were checking your locator forms, so where you were staying. So you either had it on your an app, an app on your phone, which 
status. You had, you had you kind of pre-booked that with the Spanish authorities. You had to go on in advance online through Ryanair and fill out that form for the Spanish. So you just walked through with that or if you didn't have it, they were just giving you a temperature check and they wanted to see your PCR. You know, now you need your documents for the airline. You know, if you if you don't have from the, from next Monday, you won't need a PCR test. You just need your 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 vaccine, your COVID vaccine, your EU one, which you should be able to download uh, from the on an, on an app through which you should get in a letter. You should be getting a letter either from the HSE or from a doctor or pharmacist who's vaccinating you, telling you how you can download your uh, your digital certificate. So once you have that, then you, you know we, because I was coming out here on I, I have a carrot in the HSE, but that's not good enough. I did have to get a PCR test, and I got one done. It cost me sixty five quid uh, two days before Dublin Airport. Yeah. Um, and you know, but from next week, so you, know, you should not need. The PCR test. Yeah, and you're saying in the mirror this morning that from next week, because you've been talking to restaurateurs and publicans and what have you down there, that they're expecting an Irish invasion to save their tourist yeah, season. Yeah, they're expecting. Yeah, yeah, they're expecting a lot of Irish people out here and a lot of British. Because also from next Monday, British people can come to Spain and will not have to quarantine in Britain on the return. So they're expecting big number of tourists coming in from Ireland and Spain. You can only see it here in the last week here that the amount of Scandinavians that's arrived here since the new EU, since the digital certificate came into play. So you've had a lot of Norwegians, Scandinavians, Germans, Dutch, all arriving here in the holidays in the last week. But have they not started to tighten restrictions and, uh, you know, COVID regulations in yeah, some but areas? But see, yeah, but I mean, you're looking at but their COVID restrictions are completely... You know, when you've compared to ours, I mean, so all the bars are open indoors here. So the latest restrictions, you know, there has been an increase. They're looking at a fifth wave here in Malaga. Uh, but it's mainly among young people, 18 to 35-year-olds. The rate per 100,000 had hit 300. That was 54 uh, uh, people, uh, cases per 100,000 there last week, last weekend, last Friday. But 200 of that 100,000 among young people aged between, uh, I think it was 18 and, and, and 30. And only 60, uh, sorry, 70 cases was for people over 60 years of age. But they say most young people who get it are fine. There's no increase in hospitalizations. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no increase in the numbers in ICU. And there's no numbers increase in, in terms of the number of deaths. So that's the way they look right. They're not obsessed about the overall numbers like we are on the RTE News every night, giving it a figure of how many people have COVID. As I keep saying, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is how many are in hospital, Correct. how many is in ICU, and God forgive how many are dying. Correct. But we seem to be completely obsessed to it. Like, when I mean, you go into the pubs here, like, most people are saying to mind themselves, you know. Do you want to sit outside? you want to sit outside? I mean, for the match last night, I sat outside. Right, and I'm double vaccinated. I didn't go in. I looked. I looked at the game from outside. The television was inside. Uh, I looked in through the windows. Why didn't you go in? Did you just prefer to be outdoors, Jumbo, or what? Yeah, see, I, 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 I tell you, I tell you why. It's because I'm going to Italy on Saturday on another story for a couple of days, and to get into Italy, uh, I need a PCR test because I don't have the digital certificate yet. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. And so I was just afraid, even though I'm double tested, I just wouldn't take the chance. But I'm heading to Italy on Saturday on another story for a couple of days. Um, so uh, that was the reason why. And are they... Do, do, you, do, you, cha- do you chat with the publicans and the people out there who, about, about the yeah, situation yeah, here in Ireland? Are they, what do they make of us being so slow? Oh, they just think, they just think we're absolutely nuts. They think who's running the country. The doctors are the government. 
you know, that's what they're all after. I mean, I had a good chat with Tracy Harmon. She owns uh, Harmon's Bar in Marbella, just in Alveria, outside Marbella. Yeah. And, and she was saying, how can you not let bars and pubs open indoors when you have thousands of people going in and out of shops every day on top of each other and queuing up at checkouts, paying at pennies and various other shops? Uh, and how can that go ahead? And yet, you won't let people go in and sit social distance uh, inside a pub to have a meal, inside a restaurant to have a meal or to have a drink. She just thinks that what's going on in Ireland. And I agree with her. It's absolutely bananas. And do they have, they don't have full capacity indoors, do they? But they, they have 75% capacity indoors. But she said capacity is not the issue because there's loads of room, you know. Um, and, and it was 100%, but it's now it's been reduced since last weekend with level 2 restrictions of 75%. But outside it's 100%. There's no, there's no restrictions outside on a terrace. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. I mean, there... It used to be be 10 outside uh, on a table, to 8. And it used to be 8 inside the table. Now it's been reduced to 6. But, I mean, it's it's just not... But they can't understand what is going on in Ireland. And why wasn't Ireland part of this digital certificate? You know, why didn't it happen on the 4th of of July, the same as the rest of Europe? Didn't they want to buy some extra time to roll up more vaccines before they went for it on the 1st of July in Ireland? Well... Well, well, that's the argument, you know. Maybe, you know, does does it does does merit in that? You know, maybe it is. But most people in Europe are looking at us thinking, you know, what in the name of God are we at? You know. Do you do you have any insight as to what date this? I mean, some are saying the nineteenth, others are saying the twenty sixth. They're throwing in the twenty third now, which I think is a Monday. Man, if I was a if I was a betting man, I would say they will not bring it in until they're kicking and forced to on screaming. And they will try to avoid opening up until about the 26th. If I was a betting man, they want for another two more weeks of vaccination rollouts. And can we really expect... And Fianna Fáil wonder, right? And Michal Martin, why they lost the boy election in Dublin, you know? They've alienated 150,000 people in the aviation industry. They've alienated 200,000 people, 300,000 in the hospitality sector. So, you know, that's nearly over 400,000 people. So, you know, they really have upset a lot of people. Now, you could say they've done a brilliant job in the vaccination role, which they have, and the HSE has. But I, I just think the restrictions here have been so conservative. And the Taoiseach, and I know he's one of your own, and I know he's a very decent man, I've never, but politically, they've just been so slow at doing everything. And it's nearly as if method have put the fear of God into them that they're afraid to make any decisions unless they've got cover from the doctors. So we don't actually, we don't actually, we're still not as, still not 100% clear as to the date. So we'll have to wait for that. We're also not clear as, as to whether or not Michal Martin's position is interesting, whether or not he, he will remain or will there be a heave within Fianna Fáil? Are you following that aspect of the they story? Won't, they won't, yeah, yeah, they won't, they won't, they won't. I was talking to a couple of people over the weekend. They won't do it against him um, until he's done, finished his term as T-shirt, which is too hard. Go the other way around. How's it go? Jim Callaghan. Is Jim Callaghan going to say Fianna Fáil? Give me a bucket. You know, not a chance. He's pursuing his own agenda at the moment. But they don't really have... The only one who I can see who's got any more criminal pedigree is, is, is Michael McGraw. Okay? But you have to tell you that he won't, he won't get you any thought. probably true. On the working class areas of Dublin where they're being annihilated by sheep. You know? Barry Cowan, there's others, Barry Cowan, Darrell O'Brien, John McGuinness. Yeah, but hang on a second, John McGuinness is, 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 is too old, that's number one, okay, and I've not been ages, 
But John McGuinness now must be in his late 60s. Okay? What's wrong What's wrong with Micheál Martin, do they, do they say? He's Diderot. A Diderot. We'd call a Diderot. He's too indecisive. And I like Micheál, personally. I'm very tired for him. Yeah. You know, and I know quite well the same as you do. He's just too slow. He's a Diderot. He just seems to be too indecisive of terms of making decisions. And he hasn't been helped by two ministers in particular, Stephen Donnelly, who flew more kites when he became minister than anybody else. And every time he opens his mouth, he calls Gina false votes because the photos have no time for him and don't respect him. And the other one is Darrell O'Brien because he, again, is another Diderot who keeps changing the goalposts makes him to the function of us. The housing is the issue. You know that. I know that. Yeah. All your listeners know that. That is the issue. Number one issue in Ireland is housing. And something urgent and radical needs to be done. Mm. Now, O'Brien needs to bring his big proposals to the table in the next two or three weeks, and we'll see how that plays out. But, I mean, the, you know, Fina, it shouldn't say in making huge gains on the housing issue against Fianna Fáil, and are absolutely destroying them. And the fact that they didn't take the Fulcher funds out of the picture in terms of housing and buying blocks of flats, lock, stock and barrel, they needed to be taken off the pitch. You know, let's face it, Fianna Fáil was always like, I always compare them, it was a bit like, you know, the Labour Party in Britain. They were the Labour Party in Ireland. They're directly representing the working class. Yeah. You know, they don't know what they stand for. You know, they really don't. And they needed to take, they needed to take, you know, the future funds off the pitch. And they failed to do it. So Mihal is just coming over as being Didra, indecisive, you know, afraid of a shadow. That's, that's what voters think. They want to see somebody who's going to make decisions, you know, and make them quick, make them fast. And in this, and in this case, you're saying it's yeah, it's not it's not a great phone line. But and in this case, you're saying that he listened too much to Neffert. He listened too much to medics and should have made his own decisions faster. Yeah, yeah. you take part on that. The amount of people who are out of work because of of the damage to the airline industry, to aviation, hospitality. One hundred forty-five thousand people employed in Ireland in aviation, right? That's a huge amount, you know, and the damage that's been done there, that's just, you know, people in North County Dublin and West Dublin are all looking at what a scene of fall doing here for us. Well, we know all about it in Cork with regards to Cork Airport. I mean, I spoke with pilots who obviously have had to take other jobs. I mean, it's been decimating. It's been decimating. All right. Listen, not, not, not a great phone line, but love the chat. Uh, what's the plan for today then? Uh, I'm going on a little story. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, listen, get on with it. And thanks for taking the call as always. Cheers. Stay safe. The one and only John Kearns with the Irish Mirror. You can follow him up on this morning's Mirror and also in the Star. And he goes from there then uh, to Italy to see how they're reacting uh, to COVID and the lifting of COVID restrictions and what have you. Apologies for, for the phone line, but we got there in the end. Can I go actually from, I think he's down Marbella Way. Let me go from there to Tenerife, if you don't mind. Regular contributor and a good guy. Sean Wren joins me by phone. Sean, good morning. Hi Neil, good morning from Tenerife. Uh, and is it nice and bright and sunny there for you today? Yes, it is as usual, yes. And I, I, I'm delighted to hear that the sun is going to visit Ireland and Cork next week. It's paying a visit news. and we wanted to stay around a little bit longer than it has heretofore, but we figure we might get a week out of it and uh, we're Very all good. looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, yes. Anyway, listen, we were chatting last week about writing to, um, you know, heroes um, or, you know, to people that you like. And of course we... You know, heard of a fabulous letter last week from Kathleen Wolf, who wrote uh, to the Queen on the death of Prince Philip. And it reminded, and I was asking other people, did you ever write to somebody that you admired or somebody that was famous? What was your own story on that? Well, to say the truth, uh, Neil, I would only write if 
it, it, it affects me emotionally, not just because they're a celebrity, but when I was 15, I had uh, a crush on Jackie Kennedy. Okay. I, I thought she was an absolute beauty and I loved her big, broad smile and her lovely dark eyes. Her fabulous style, of course. Oh. And then uh, her husband... As, oh, yes, then I heard that he, uh, JFK was coming to Cork and I was delighted as a 15-year-old. Oh, I'm going to see my Jackie. But unfortunately, she didn't come with him and as we all know, then he was assassinated. Well, was that 63, was it? Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. okay. And and then I uh, saw her covered in blood when he was assassinated by her side, and my heart was breaking for her. So I said, you know, I must write to her. So, <laughs> how old were you? Fifteen. All right. I I, I wrote to her, and uh, I received uh, maybe a few weeks later a letter, and uh, at the top there was Jacqueline Kennedy, like uh, her autograph on where the postmark was. And uh, a letter just thanking me for... Uh, no, it, it was, uh, on behalf of Mrs. Kennedy, I would like blah, blah. Which is one of, one of these uh, automated things. Standard response, delayed. yeah. What did you I say did, in your in your letter? Do you recall? Well, you see, um, Neil, I was thinking that, if I could remember, but, but if, if I write, I would write from the heart and I would just say exactly how I feel yeah. at the time. But it, it was just a letter of condolence, not a big, long rigmarole. It was yeah. just a letter of condolences. Yeah. It wasn't, oh, I fancy you, Jack, I'm glad you're a widow. Nothing like that. <laughs> God forbid. So then, in um, I, I hadn't written for age. Then the only person I was writing then would be Susan. I used to send her love letters, even though I, I Sean and Sue, Sue, beautiful couple. Fair play yeah, to I you would, both. Yeah, I would still send Sue a love letter now and then. Anyway, so then, then in nineteen, I think nineteen, um, twenty years ago, whenever that was 20, 20, 20, 2000. 20, 20, 20, yes, uh, Tony Blair was um, Prime Minister and he's, he was, was all over the paper because his son was found drunk and disorderly in, in Leicester Square and he gave wrong information. I mean, that struck me as a father of five sons and I had rare teenagers. I really felt very, very sorry for him as a father because you have, you have to take these people out of the profession and these are all parents. I agree. And at the end of, and at the, end of the day, being a parent is anything but an easy job. So I felt very sorry for him. So I decided I must write to him. <laughs> so I wrote to him and, I, you know, well, from what I can remember it would be, you know, I was being a father of five children. I know it's not easy and I, I know that this is your eldest son and be prepared. This is going to happen and uh, forget public opinion. And I'm writing to you as a, a father. I'm not writing to you because you're the, you're the uh, prime minister. And my heart goes out to you, but don't worry, everything will be okay. And that... I got a personal letter back from me. It, it, it was headed, Dear Sean. And it, again, no. You know something, Neil? I don't know if I even kept those letters. Because to me, it was just a letter and just maybe... Just uh, surely something. you have it somewhere. But he, he responded. The Prime Minister oh, he responded did. himself. He did, personally, yes. And signed it, uh, you're sincerely Tony Blair. Then when... when so just saying, uh, saying, saying thank you for your kind thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, and you know... Yes, it was a, a very nice personal thank you letter. Because... because as I said, yeah, well, I don't have to think when I write. You see, he wouldn't get to open his mail, so somebody clearly saw that letter, put it aside obviously. and gave, gave it to him, you see. Obviously, yes, obviously, yes. And uh, at the time, I said, oh, but do they feel safe opening, <laughs> opening a letter with an Irish stamp on it? And I know, but he responded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He, oh, he did, oh, he did. And I, you know, I was, well, I was pleased, I suppose. And then in, in, um, when Princess Diana died and the Queen came under terrible blow, 
a terrible, terrible uh, from, from, from the press. Yes. She was up, up in Balmoral and she didn't come down. And again, I took her out of, of, out of her position as being queen. And I thought of her as being a grandmother and both of them up there, grandparents were their grandchildren. And I was saying to myself, well, their mother has been tragically killed. I think that the Queen and Prince Philip are, are shielding the, the kids and just getting them used to uh, their mother being... And did you say all of that in the letter? Um, I would have said, as a, again, I would have said as a parent, as a, as a grand, as grandparents, uh, you know, and again, I would have said, I'm writing to you as a granny and your husband as a grandfather, not as the Queen of England, and I hope that things will work out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I got a letter back thanking you now this would have, would have been one of the um, stop one yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 but at least and then one of my favourite people of all time <laughs> who I really admire there's more singer, <laughs> there's no, more this, no this, this is it no this is the end uh, is Tina Turner I, I, she's a brilliant performer I've followed her everywhere at concerts and I, I like I like her life story I think she's a very strong woman and uh, there were times when I would have been again rearing kids and been in trouble and very depressed, upset, and I would turn on a Tina Turner uh, because in her concerts she throws such positive vibes, yeah. and she, she always cheered me up. And I one day I decided maybe I was feeling down at Florentina and I felt good, and I wrote her and um, told her how good she was and how I followed her, and I thought that she was good in, in every sense of the yeah, word. Yeah. And, and I, I got a letter back thanking again, a dear Sean, it was a personal thing with a, with a signed photograph of herself to Sean. Lots of love, Tina. She signed your name and everything. She signed. She she signed. And I still have. As a matter of fact, we had a fire. She's up in the kitchen. We have a f- <laughs> in Ireland. Uh, we had a fire in our kitchen, and the only thing to survive the fire was Tina Turner's photograph. <laughs> Miraculous. <laughs> No, it's all brown, no, and kind of singed looking. But you, you would still see it. I love it. So, so, so that's the story of writing to people. But Neil, can I just say... Nobody writes letters anymore, so that's lovely to hear of how you I like to be. I, oh, I, I, you know, it, it, it hurts me so much because I remember whenever we would, as children, if we ever got a gift from our, grand, from our grands and aunts or uncles, we were made go knock on the door and say thank you or write a letter and say thank you if they weren't within reach. Now all the kids have to do is press a button and put on a smiley face. It takes no effort, it takes no thought and they don't even do that. I that know. Really hurts. I that know. really hurts. Yeah, anyway, I know. It's another story. It's another story. Can, can, can I just say uh, Neil, about the, the catering business and how that, um, you know, they find it very hard to get staff. And well, uh, I read out the uh, situations vacant in the examiner this morning. I heard. Ad I after heard. ad after ad, chefs, cooks, kitchen workers. Well, can, 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 Desperate. Have you time? Have you time to listen to just one story regarding? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one of our sons is a chef, and he's been a chef since he was a, left school, and he trained in the Imperial Hotel. We're going back now, twenty, thirty years ago. And then when he was finished, I, I kind of said to him, "You know, you need to leave there now because you don't know, always looked in as let's say the comedy chef or the trainee chef." And there was a he applied for a job. There was a vacancy in a well-known restaurant at the time. It's no longer there, but it was a Michelin restaurant. And he went for an interview, and he got the job. He was to start with saying next Monday. So he was delighted, and we went out and bought him all new uniforms, even though he had plenty of uniforms, but there's nothing like a nice, new, crisp, white chest uniform. And he went up, and when he, I said, you know, you have to spend time now, so he was, we'd say, 15 minutes before the time when he was supposed to be there, and the door was closed. So he knocked on the door, and the owner, who was also the chef, now this was a Michelin star, uh, came out and said, uh, yeah, so uh, my son said, oh, I'm starting here. She said, oh, the, the person you were replacing decided not to leave. So there's no job there for you. Good God. And closed, yeah. And he closed the door in his face. Good God. 
Having yes, left his so, job? Yes. So th- this this restaurant was quite near our salon. And he came down to us and he was very, very upset. And his name was Marcus. And I said, Marcus, go back down to John Moran. John Moran is a nice man, I said. And just explain the situation. And luckily, luckily, John Moran took him back because he was a good worker. So I was thinking, I was a rage. I said, well, I go up to this man. I said, no, I know what I'm going to do. Just coming up to Easter. So I rang the restaurant and I said, uh, hello, I would like to make a reservation for Easter Saturday night for 15 people. <laughs> so he said, yes, of course. I can have your name. Now, I couldn't give my surname because our surname is so unusual. It would have clicked me. I said, yes. I said, O'Brien, Michael O'Brien. And can I, have a con- can I have a contact number? I said, of course you can. And I gave him the salon number. Yes. And on, let's say... An hour, maybe half an hour before the booking time, nine o'clock. I said, nine o'clock, needs Saturday night. It would be a nice time to catch him. Oh, God. So, uh, <laughs> half an hour, an hour before the booking, I rang and I said, hello, my name is Michael. Oh, yes, Mr. O'Brien, are your tables ready? I said, unfortunately, I said, we're delayed. But I said, don't, please don't give away the table because we are definitely coming. <laughs> no problem, no problem, Mr. Trainer. Looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> uh, I said, fine, thank you very much. I went in, this was Saturday. I went, went into work on the on the Tuesday because it was Easter Monday the yes, yes and I said, to the, I said to the girls at work I said if somebody rings looking for Michael O'Brien that's me just put me on immediately <laughs> we were no we were no sooner open Neil when the phone went collecting words Sean that's you looking for Michael O'Brien Simon and I said hello so he said hello this is such and such yeah. yes yeah. I said yes he said did you have a table reserved for um, nine o'clock Saturday? I said I did yes <laughs> I said why because he said you never turned up I said, no, I didn't. But he said, you rang to say, I said, yes, I did. <laughs> I said, incidentally, I said, my name is not Michael O'Brien. I said, my name is Sean Wren. W-R-E-N. Doesn't that certainly mean anything to you? So he said, um, no. Well, I said, I just did you what you did to my son. I said, I hit you in your pocket. Because I said, only for the good will of my son's ex-employer, he will be out of work, I said. And he'd be whistling for money. Where I said, you can go now and whistle for your 15 clients money and I said that might teach you a lesson to be respectful to your employees and I said incidentally I said I'm only down the road from you Sean and Sue Hairstallon if you want me to if you want to come down and face me and for me to tell you exactly what I think of you face to face yes I will and uh, I said I'll leave you on that line now bye bye and that was the end of the conversation you're speechless at the end of the phone I say he was speechless. Yes, I say he never did it again. Oh my God. I, I'm so glad I let you tell that last story or fit it in the time for it because that's one of the best I've ever... It is the kind of thing that a parent would do for their son or daughter. It really is. I mean, I, uh, I, 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 but I, I probably would be the kind of person who would think about doing something like that but not doing it. You did it you and know, you made I, him I feel did. pain. And do you know something, Neil? Okay, I have written nasty letters as well as very nice letters, but I will never, ever write an anonymous letter. I cannot stand this anonymity. And, I, you know, I, I just, if you haven't got the guts to say it great. and say who you are, just don't say it at all. A great story, Sean. I always look forward to our chats. Thank you so much for sharing. Have a good right. day and mind can yourself. You, right? can, I, can I just tell you, you might like this down? But, you know, you, you're very often in bed with me and you're very often in the bath with me. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer if it was your wife, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Oh, my God. He's a great guy. Always with great stories. Fair play. That's a great story. Actually, John Moran, a super, super guy. Just an all-round great character. Great head chef. 
um, for many years in the Imperial. Just a super, super menu, a great kitchen and a great guy to work for, the great John Moran. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. Just ahead of the break, actually, while I'm just on this topic of kitchens and chefs, all of those jobs... Uh, well, the vast majority of them anyway are coming through uh, agencies looking for the chefs, chef de partie, uh, cooks, head chefs, things like that. Um, and they're all talking about a 40 hour week and the salary is, um, well, they vary, but not by much. Anywhere between 30 and 32,000 Um I don't know how many head chefs would move or be willing to work anymore for 30 to 32,000 but that's the salary that comes with it. I don't know how accurate 40 hours a week would be either uh, when you're the head chef of a very busy restaurant. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Talking about writing to the Queen and talking about writing to Tony Blair and stuff like that reminded me. If you're interested, I'd love to start something on the air and closer to the back end of the week with regards to people recommending either box sets or recommending movies or, you know, TV series that maybe you could download and binge on. I know we did this way back along in COVID, but I only mention it because it's all great film at the weekend that I got as a recommendation is called Official Secrets. It's about two years old now. It's Kira Knightley. Um, it tells the story of uh, Catherine Gunn. She worked for GCHQ back in the day at the time when they were trying to find weapons of mass destruction um, hidden by Saddam Hussein. They didn't exist. And of course, uh, we all know that uh, Tony Blair dodged a bullet with regards to, um, you know, uh, the they say there was criminality involved in what went on in Iraq and that he should have been uh, prosecuted for war crimes and what have you. Uh, but she actually leaked, um, I won't spoil it for you, but she leaked sensitive documentation from inside in GCHQ and gave it to the newspapers. You might remember it. Uh, she ended up going on trial for it and everything. I won't spoil it, but it's a it's a fabulous film. It's called Official Secrets, if you like, like that kind of thing. Kira Knightley, fabulous movie. I think I think Richard is it Ralph Fiennes or Richard Fiennes or one of the Fiennes brothers, the sons is, is in it as well. It's a great film. Uh, anyway, it's called Official Secrets. I pass it on for what it's worth. With regards to uh, England's defeat, more to the point, Italy's victory at the 2020s. Uh, I've tried so hard to feel sorry for them. I've tried so hard to wish England well in the past, but I just can't do it. I think it's in my DNA to want them to lose. Believe me, I've tried so hard uh, to wish them well, uh, but I found it impossible. (laughs) It's an honest and open admission. Um, The weekend was the 100th anniversary of the ending of the War of Independence, which led to the treaty talks and the formation of the Irish Free State and the partition of Ireland. As for anti-British, if you caused the deaths of 94 people in Hillsborough at a football match, you would be charged with 94 counts of manslaughter. But British soldiers can freely murder people in our country and they get off scot-free. Some people wonder why we're just a wee bit bitter, uh, says Desi. And that's just a selection of many other texts. As an Englishman living in Cork, I enjoyed the banter throughout the tournament. No idea why lots of England fans in England have been asking for the support of the Irish, the Scots and the Welsh. It's sport. It's all banter most of the time. Lads did their country proud, but the game plan went out the window after the early English goal. I don't think they knew what to do after the goal. Huge shame, but it was a brilliant few weeks. Roll on the World Cup, says Graham. 
Uh, Neil was asking why Sterling didn't take a penalty. Sterling was too busy diving to take a penalty. And just one other one there. Uh, how can I... Hi. Can I offer my commiserations to Fianna Gael and their supporters after a tough weekend? First, a by-election defeat in Dublin Bay South, and then the English defeat. <laughs> Oh, I love that kind of weird. I really do. I presume you know Jeff came over here and played for Cork Celtic. What are the chances of one of the players who played in the Euro final ever playing for Cork City? Uh, says Jar with regards to the great Jeff Hurst. I didn't know that. Although in part of the article, it does talk of him playing in different leagues in different parts of Ireland, um, England, uh, Scotland and Wales and places like that. I didn't know. I mean, other others came here. I mean, there was a time when when George Best togged out on Leeside. Did he tog out for Hibs or did he tog out for Celtic? I think it might have been Celtic, but you guys will tell me. Three great subs made by Southgate. The three subs he brought on missed the penalties. Happy days, says a texter here. And just two more. Italy deserved to win. They were the better side overall yesterday. I'm happy with the result. And did you know that you have an Englishman and a Chelsea legend, Bobby Tamling, living in Crosshaven? You should get him on for his thoughts. I had a lovely chat with Bobby Tamling some years ago when he wrote and released and published his autobiography. A lovely, lovely guy. So I see there's loads more coming in. We'll get back to them throughout the course of the morning. Text 0868104106. But writing letters, and few enough of us write letters anymore, but to people that you admire... Um, or indeed, uh, you might even be in love with. Helen! Yes, Neil? Were you in love with Jurgen Klopp, or do you just admire him, or do you just oh, find him handsome? I think he's the most attractive man on the planet. Well, and what's, what's attractive about him? I don't know, he's nice to his players, and he's that lovely smile, and oh, God! <laughs> so you wrote to him? Come here, my husband is, is, is spinning in his grave, he's a Man United fan. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you I write wrote, to him? I, I, I wrote to him and I sent him a photograph of the Busby babes back in the day. Right. Anyway, uh, he sent it back to me with thanks in case I might uh, lose it. And he sent me a signed copy of himself on the pitch. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what should what you do with it? Did you put it on a, in a frame up on the mantelpiece? Wait a while. It's on the mantelpiece with a with, with sacred heart. <laughs> <laughs> and do you talk um, to it? I do, and that'll tell you how I'm gone simple altogether. <laughs> my uh, my friend uh, brought um, a Liverpool scarf into me one day, and everybody's admiring it. <laughs> so you have the scarf draped over I the have photograph. The scarf, and you know, if I can get the knickers, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody else you've written to in the past that you admired? Oh, sure, I wrote to, you know, Cliff Richard and I got his autograph years ago when I was a kid and um, I don't know if it's worth anything. And I wrote to other other celebs, as they call them. Yeah. All right, okay. We just don't write, le- we don't write letters no, anymore. No, no, and I mean, I have no such thing as a keyboard. I want an ordinary phone. I can't even use that. <laughs> You're doing all right without it. You're not missing much. Believe me. Oh, very, very good. But come here, I want you to do something now. Will you stop talking about that bloody Dublin government? The Dublin government as opposed to the Irish government, is it? Exactly. Pack of frickin' wicks. As well as that, oh, I'm so delighted that he's Lee one. As well as the fact that, see all those fellas last night, the English team, and they're crying like babies. Ah, but that's unfair. 
they were very disappointed to lose on penalties. And some of them are just some of them are just kids. So yeah, young. I don't care if their kids are old fellas. Some of them were crying because they felt responsible mm. for missing a spot kick, you see. Boo bloody who I don't know anything about soccer, but I did watch it last night. <laughs> and you were happy with the result, were you? Oh, definitely. Alright. I thought you'd be watching Love Island, no? Are you? Come here. <laughs> I I have a brain. And I'm not watching that kind of crap. Alright, well, I can't I can't watch fiction anyway. I mean to factual stuff. And I, I have become a uh, but real... No, no, violent is, isn't fiction. It's real life. Well, it, it, yeah, mm, yeah. So I'd, say, the, uh, I'd say if I you could get onto a low violin with Jorgen Klopp, you wouldn't be complaining, though. Ah, yeah. Oh, no. Ah, I'll there you see. Up there, Republic. <laughs> Good luck. Take care. Just on Love Island. Love Island is unwatchable, 100% fake, and these people are the worst possible role models for kids. It's only about looks and body image. It is totally superficial and toxic. Morning, on the subject of Love Island, do people really want to instill in their children that it's okay to jump into bed with every Tom, Dick, or Harry. I wouldn't want that. Escapism is all very well and good, but come on. Uh, another one or two here regarding Love Island and the girls in sport debate, as in why are girls watching Love Island? Why aren't more girls playing sport debate? My daughter plays GAA and basketball. They train three times per week on top of the matches. And when they come home from training, they absolutely love to settle down to watch Love Island. It is possible, Neil, to play sports and watch reality TV, you know. The correlation is ridiculous. Girls don't need to be berated for watching a TV show. I found your interviews during the week very patronizing. Promote girls in their totality. Love the show. Um, And just one final one, which is a worry for a parent here. My daughter spends all of her time in front of the mirror. It's very worrying for me. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. All right, text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Yeah, oh yeah, that that film, uh, Official Secrets, Kira Knightley. Yes, it was. Ralph Fiennes plays a great part in it too. Check it out, and you got a couple of hours looking for a good film. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Last week, had a very um, upsetting phone call from Ita. She literally was sitting in the car outside the vaccination centre. I believe it was down Parky Creek. I believe her. Her husband had gone in for his jab and she couldn't do it. She was in an awful state because she was afraid of needles. And to say afraid is an understatement. I'm talking about petrification of needles and on that basis could not get vaccinated. Um, this is just a section of my conversation with her from pretty much this time last week. Who's afraid of needles? Oh, me. All your life? Yeah, it's a morbid fear. Like, I'm sitting outside the centre now waiting. Right. My husband has gone in for his second jab. And when he comes out, more than likely, I'll be physically sick. You're very upset from it. You're not, it's, yep. it, it's not just you getting a needle or a jab. It's sitting in the same car as somebody who has just had a jab. Yeah. People say to me, you're 66, get over it. But it's this inbuilt thing inside me where I just want to go into a hole. You want to get vaccinated? I do, and I try and talk myself into it. I actually went as far as the chemist shop the other day, but as soon as I walked in, I can't walk, I can't feed my feet. Not when it comes to I can't, I can't do it physically. I would go into a corner and curl up in a ball and just 
I don't know, I can't explain it. Very upset and got more upset the further into the chat we got. But we put her in touch and had on air Brian Evans' hypnotherapy. Um, and he met up with her. I don't know how many sessions were involved, but I just wanted to uh, update on the story. Eta, good morning. Morning, Neil. And I hear tell you have since been vaccinated. I have. What did he do to change your mindset like that? Um, what did he do? Um, he put me at ease, number one. Um, spoke to me. He alleviated my fears. Now, I don't particularly want to go into what he did because I don't know if the men would like me discussing what, you know, what happened in the office or anything like that. Oh, but is there is there hypnosis involved? Does he put you into a relaxed state? Yeah. Yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah, very, very relaxed state. And um, he spoke to me under hypnosis. I can remember everything that he did, basically. But um, when it was over, he gave me exercises to do to calm me down in certain situations. And um, I decided I'd give it a go and see. So I had it last Friday morning at 20 past 12. And it was an entirely different experience to 24 or 48 hours before when you clearly were very upset um, the oh, yeah. thought of going anywhere near a needle or near anybody who had just been vaccinated, even going into a chemist, left you paralysed with fear. Gone. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just couldn't cope at all. I mean, I couldn't be in the same room as somebody with a needle, anything like that. The thought of it would just send me off into panic straight away. So you went to the chemist, is it? I went to the chemist at Arfalan Pharmacy, yeah. I know it. Um, how do you f- and no, no stress, no anxiety, no fear going through the door. I would say there was a tiny bit. I, I can't say like this. Oh, I was flying. I ran in the door and got it. And that I was kind of nervous. Yeah, um, and the chemist was very, very good. And I did the exercises that um, Brian. Are they breathing exercises, Eta? Yeah. And mind yeah. visual visualization, thinking certain thoughts yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, at no stage you felt like getting up and running out the door. No, isn't no. it amazing? Was it yeah, one session? Amazing, one session. One session. Yeah, yeah. Face to face. One session. I would advise anyone in my situation to go to him or anyone that has a fear of anything. Any kind of phobia. We went through the phobias with him on air when I chatted with him. God knows he covers an awful lot of different phobias, issues and fears. Did you see the needle? Did you actually see it? No. Um, I choose not to. Nor do I. I always look the other way. Yeah. But um, I knew the needle was there. I knew it was on the table. But it didn't bother me. Isn't that amazing? That is yeah. just incredible. So how do you feel now? I feel brilliant. Um, I don't think I'd mind one again. If well, needs be, you know, to get an injection. You probably got the J&J, the Janssen, did you? The single jab or what? I did, uh, yeah. So you're finished now. Must come as a huge relief to you, does it? It does, yeah, because I worried about my family and, you know, what I was doing to them by not having it. And, you know, basically just worried about getting infected myself and... But I just couldn't do anything about and it. And the rest, and the rest of your life now, you won't be in situations of paralytic fear. No, no. Well, as we say in Cork, that's the job, isn't it? That is definitely like even besides that. Um, if I'm into a shop before I get a panic attack, 
I just couldn't be dealing with champs like um but I've been shopping now a few times with my husband and even he said to me, what the bloody hell is that for happening? You like? Would you from time to time get panic attacks in busy shops? Yeah, yeah. More so since COVID. Ah, um, sure, I know, I know, I know, I know. You'd, you'd have the worry about I'm, COVID and the crowds, yeah, I know. Yeah, but I'm able to do that now. Um, That's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Well done yeah. to Brian. Listen, great. Thank you for coming back and just finishing the story and delighted it's yeah. such a great result for you. Yeah, and as I said, Neil, anyone, anyone in that situation that I was in should contact Brian. You better believe it. And uh, he's actually contactable online, www.quitwithbrian.com. Well done, Ita. Delighted for you. Thanks so much Thanks for coming me. back. Fair play. Bye now. Bye. It's always great to get results like that. Uh, unfortunately, people aren't getting results when it comes to passports. And we did this on the air last week. And uh, imagine they're very, very busy on top of everything else. And the fact that the passport office is closed. As Jumbo Kearns was saying earlier on that the Spanish are expecting an Irish invasion and I imagine people have been checking their passports to find that maybe they're out of date or coming close. A lot of texts on this. Uh, applied online last Sunday at 8pm. This is not yesterday but a week ago. So applied online 8 o'clock on a Sunday evening. It was in the door Tuesday morning. Unbelievably quick. It's been out of date since March. Delighted with the great online service. For those that can do it online, I suppose, it is very effective. It's a bit like the motor tax. My son applied for a passport online and got it in the post the following week. Didn't need any special reasons. Wasn't expecting it for months. Got it within a week. Applied for my passport a couple of weeks ago. It arrived within seven days. I was gobsmacked. Of course, this is all happening online. I had a huge issue with the photograph of my passport. Eventually got a photograph that they accepted online. Eventually. Applied on the third. 3rd of July, received the passport in the post this week. My God, you almost got it in the same week. Also ordered the passport card, which I should rece- receive soon. Before renewing, I wanted to know if the UK still accepted the passport card after Brexit, so I messaged them through Twitter. I find if I need to ask a question, messaging through Twitter is the way to go. Thank you, Sharon. But not everybody has the luxury of doing things online or indeed um, has Twitter accounts. Listening to your show about online passport renewals, I just want to say I renewed my son's passport online on a Monday evening after work on the 21st of June and the new passport arrived on the 23rd, two days later. I was, to say the least, very supli- surprised. So no issues online, uh, but the physical presence of a passport office is a worry for and, a, and a, I guess it's a it's a dose for, for many people who aren't online. Of course, that's the way the world is moving. What can you do? Back after 11. Hey, it's Killian. Join me Sundays from 10 for loads of music, a bit of chat and my mildly interesting facts of the weekend. It's the Sunday 10 to 2 show with Killian on Cork's Red FM. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-810-4106. Red FM. Cork taxi drivers have set up a page to help their lovely colleague Bobby Lynch. Bobby has been a taxi driver in Cork for over 30 years. And earlier this year, his health took a turn for the worst and it led to amputation. Uh, I'll be speaking to Bobby Lynch and also telling you more about that GoFundMe page to help Bobby after 11. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 08. 08- 8104106 Red FM Actually we talk about weather and people planning things and, and heading away you know for the day or for the weekend it uh, was reading an article in the Independent at the weekend where Ralph Regal was talking to uh, Senator Tim Lombard down West Cork they were talking about a thing called 
murder tourism. Murder tourism. It's the it's a new one on me, I have to say, where people who watch something like, say, for instance, in the case of West Cork, Murder of the Cottage on Sky, or a murder in West Cork, which is now rolled out on a hundred in a hundred and ninety countries around the world on Netflix, the unsolved crime into the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. Um, apparently people are visiting West Cork and um murder tourism is where you go to visit the scene or the different scenes uh, connected to a crime. So in this case, it would be the Stone Cross where Sophie's body was found, her holiday home in Tourmoor, Cailfada Bridge and the association with whomever was seen at Cailfada Bridge and Skull itself. And not everybody down west, apparently, is happy with that. I just wanted to get the backstory to murder tourism, uh, tourism from Senator Tim Lombard himself. Tim, good morning. More Neil. Um, so, what's it, what's it all about? Is it is it the odd person that's rocking up, to, or is it lots of people are taking selfies at the cross and selfies at Sophie's house? What? Yeah, look, this is probably there's all the an, an interest in this case, you know, nationally and internationally. I think the two documentaries over the last six weeks have kind of heightened that interest um, locally and internationally as well. And I think because of that, there's been an influx of people coming, in particular Skull, looking at um, the actual site of the bridge where who was there at three o'clock, we're not too sure, going on to the castle where she visited, literally revisiting her last footsteps and then obviously going to, unfortunately, to the actual Celtic Cross. And it was just phenomenal taking selfies at the Celtic Cross, which really caught my imagination. I just thought a step too far in so, so many ways. Selfies, is it? Yeah, Mm. and that's what I came across. And is that the difference? Is it different to take a photograph of a place as opposed to taking a selfie, which is in bad taste, really, I think? Yeah, and I think it is in bad taste. And there is serious curiosity about this case over the last 24 years. It's an amazing case in so many ways, but there is a grieving family at the end of it, and I think that's the one thing that's been lost while we do have interest nationally and internationally. I think the grieving family are kind of, in my opinion, are kind of been forgotten if you literally turn up at a Celtic cross, take a selfie and post it online. I also have people been seen doing that, Senator? Yes, I came across uh, one one um, ex- example of, of it myself, and I also came across um, a group of people from another province coming to West Cork and setting up their own WhatsApp group, including podcasts and articles pertaining to the murder and reliving the actual moments themselves, so they solve it, a kind of, you know, mystery of... So you're not happy murder. with that, even if something like that was done sensitively, no? Yeah, it's kind of, it's becoming a very bizarre form of tourism, though. And I think, you know, West Cork has so much to offer. Wildlandic Way, all the way down, you name it, we actually have it. I don't think really we want to be associated, you know, with a tourism brand that's basically trying to, you know, piggyback on the back of tragedy in this regard itself. And it is still very raw. Like, we still haven't got conclusions. So this would be different to somebody going on a tourist trip, say, for instance, to Kilmainham Jail, the Tower of London. I've done the Ripper tour, Jack the Ripper in London, another unsolved crime. Uh, This is different, is it? This is different because it's so fresh, first of all. It's literally 24 years away. 
it's in the papers unfortunately you know in particular because of the two documentaries mm. on a continuous basis and I do think because of there is still a grieving family out there that is like when I watched the Netflix one last night like that poor young man is a very very young man lost his mother at a really young age like it's a terrible scenario that um, you know we're having this kind of influx of tourists coming to West Cork you know retracing the steps of his mother's have, final moments have family been have family been in in Sophie's house when people have come along taking selfies I'm not aware I really and I you know I don't know I think that would be unfair to comment but there is traffic up and down that road and it's, I've never been on that road now before but I've been told by locals for the amount of houses on that road there's no need for the amount of activity up and down on a continuous basis and that's probably just following the actual scene of the crime following the murder following what happened and where it happened you know? so the, you got yeah Kelfada Bridge um, Sophie Toscan's Blantyre's house in Tourmore Three Castle Head where she visited the, exactly. the you know and um, do they go to do they go to the, the prairie in, in Bailey's house I'm not too sure about that and that's one thing I've never asked for yeah. obvious reasons yeah. and I just you know yeah. but I do know they go to the castle and they go to the bridge in particular but don't you need to be very so, careful tread delicately here because all of these tourists albeit murder tourists they're spending money in West Cork aren't they? They are, they are. But on the other side, you know, we have so much to offer. We have, and you know it yourself, West Cork is, has so much to offer all the way down the World Atlantic Way. And, you know, even Union Hall being on the World Atlantic Way last week, it really builds on the actual thing. But the big issue here is the actual family. And I think in particular when I watched the Netflix one, I didn't see the Sky one now yet. Mm. The Netflix one, I just thought the family's interaction, the mother and father, the son, I just thought, gee, they really are a grieving family looking for answers. And unfortunately, it has become a tourism attraction. And look, the Ripper Tour in London and all that, that's probably in another decade, another millennium, Mm. without Mm. a shadow of a doubt. This is so fresh. It's amazingly fresh. Like, I remember that time in 96, like yesterday. We all do. And we've all watched the case and watched the files. And, you know, it's still one of these issues that we just have to be so sensitive about. And the one thing that I have noticed in particular in the last 40 hours is the international commentary about this. Um, like, I've, like, I'm not much of Spanish or French by any means, but other publications have published what I've said throughout Europe, you know. And it just gives you the feeling of how this case isn't international case in so many ways. You were telling Ralph Regal that um, people in Skull and Tourmore have been inundated with people looking for directions to the various sites associated with the crime and the murder investigation. That's, that's kind of brazen, isn't it? Yeah, and there is a touch that about it. You know, asking locals and, you know, maybe even going to the market on Sunday morning to see who might be at the market. And, like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening out there. Um, it really is. It shows you how the Irish dynamic has totally changed. You know, they're not afraid of asking anymore. Before they might look, now they actually will ask. So, But uh, is, there a uh, way, is there a way to visit the Celtic Stone Cross to pay your respects, uh, I wonder? There is, to some degree. Again, it's very isolated. Um, I've never been on that road now, I have to say. But what I've been told locally, it's as isolated as you're going to come across. Um, do you know, and maybe some people want the opportunity to go there, just to acknowledge the actual tragedy that was there. But I suppose this idea of taking selfies there and, you know, following, you know, the trail of the murder, it's probably that little bit too far. And I think we just have to, you know, take acknowledgement of what is behind this. A young woman lost her life in very tragic circumstances. And as far as the Irish laws find, we haven't found the actual perpetrator of the murder yet.
And just on that point then, what is the what is the state of play with the people of West Cork regarding the case? And I'm not and I'm not asking you to to um to speculate in any way, shape or form, but with regards to the Gardaí reopening it and having a completely new, fresh investigation. Is that welcomed down West? Hard to know. Um, it really is an interesting question. I do think they want to find answers. They want to get a conclusion. They want to know exactly what happened and how it happened. And they want justice. And I think that's probably what they really want is for justice in the, in this case. Um, and like, it's the continuous speculation. Like, you actually forget about how many cases were involved mm. here and how it happened to actually sit down and watch the actual documentary. Mm. Um, it's an amazing story in so many ways. And in many ways, the people who skulled for the last two decades have lived with that. Have they had enough of it? Do they just want to be lived in peace? Live in peace? I think this documentary in particular, the the one, I think it's dragged up old memories beyond all regard. But it's inevitable if it's being watched all over the world that people will people will want to travel. You're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, and you know what? It's one of these questions that the answer isn't really there. Like, how can you actually try and police a scenario where people want to come to look at a murder site or a castle or follow the actual final movements of a lady? It's really, really hard to actually deal with. All you can really do is ask for respect and ask that they actually deal with this thing sensibly and respectfully. And I think that's probably the call that you can do. Like this thing about putting up signage and saying, don't go here and don't go there. That's going to drag more attention than anything else. Like we really just need to say, look, we have a grieving family. We need to be respectful of the whole scenario. You're very welcome, but in a sensitive, respectful manner and park the selfies. Very much so. Yeah. A selfie at a Celtic cross where this poor lady was murdered. My God total step to a Okay, listen, thanks for taking the call. Much obliged to you as always Senator Tim Lombard sure. down west. Your thoughts on that, particularly if you are down west or indeed if you have any evidence or any stories to share of people engaging in murder tourism in the wake of uh, the two Sophie Toscan de Plantier documentaries that are viewing at the moment and as Ralph Regal says the intense publicity surrounding the unsolved 1996 killing. Back after the break on one 104 106 You can text 868 104 Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Bobby Lynch, how are you doing? Uh, very good, Neil. Thank you. Thank oh, you my God. Well, it's been, yeah, it's, it's actually been a while since we spoke last, and we spoke quite regularly. You as a taxi driver, uh, member of the Cork Taxi uh, Council. But, you, you, I mean, you've had a tough, tough year. I had a tough tenure, really. Neil, there was stuff went on there ten years ago. I can't talk about it now, really, because uh, ten years ago, um, I, I was pretty bad. You know, I was actually, they had to bring me back three times or something like that, you know. And uh, I went through a head of a, head of a gamble there with my life, and I came out the right end of it, you know. But I can't actually talk about what happened, yeah, yeah. but I, I, I can talk about what happened this year, you know? So 10 years ago, it was challenging enough, it was touch and go. And then this year, it seems to me as if your health took a real, as the lads were saying, a really bad turn for the verse, worse very quickly with regards to, to your leg. Was, it was like, it, 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 it happened so quick, I couldn't believe it, you know? When I, when I, when I noticed a little mark on, on my toe, my middle toe, on my left foot, I just noticed a little red mark and Two days later, the mark became a cut, and then I, I covered it with a with a plaster, 
I took the plaster off the next day and the, my top of the toe was jet black. So I, I got a fight. I went to the nursery and they, they cleaned it and told me to come back in the morning to meet a professor, Matt Manning, which I did. And he said, you'll have to go to the regional and of the COH. And I went out there that evening. He had me booked in. And they, they put me on a drip and they, they took away the infection, but the toe was still black. And they said that uh, the toe would fall off by itself. God, I'm And uh, I goes, what? He goes, yeah, it'll fall off by itself. He says, and the reason we do that is because if it heals, we know we don't have to go back in. But if it don't, he will have to go in. So they left me out, and two days later, I had to get out to the end. My, my toe was actually killing me, and, and, and my, my foot was actually killing me. And... Uh, once, once you get into the system, you know, it's actually great. You know, the system is, but you have to get into a fast. And once I got through the A&E, I was there about nine, ten hours. And once I got in, I was in the system and I got great care of the staff out there. They took me up to the theater. They took, they took the tour. And uh, when I when I see the tour, like, Jesus Christ, I got fight in my life. They, like, they went right back down to the foot, like, and... Uh, I know pain, and it was grand. It was brilliant. I was out of bed the next day, walking with crutches with, with the, the occupation therapist. And uh, one morning I woke up and I couldn't put my leg in the ground. I got a, an abscess on my foot. And they brought me back to the theatre. And uh, they got de-drained it. But my leg, if we saw the state of my foot, it was like getting the smack of a hatchet. That's the way God, I'm right. And uh, I got while, while they were taking the tour, the first time they gave me a bypass from my my groin right down to the top of the knee because there was a blockage there. And uh, thank God that the, that the bypass worked because if they didn't, they'd have taken the whole of the leg from up near the hip. You know what I mean? So we and okay. Then, so at this stage, somebody has told you at at some stage that your left foot has to be amputated. Are we talking type 2 diabetes yeah. here and wounds that won't type, heal? Well, well, type 2, like, and the, they were saying it's you're going to die better, but I was inside in the wall with, with you young lads, young lads, that uh, wasn't diabetics at all, and, and they had black toes. You know what I mean? They were one or two more smokers, one for they kicked the wall, playing ball with his kids, and his toes wasn't black, and, like, uh, he'd be going down the same road as I went down. Like, Amputation as well? God almighty. How did you feel when they, the surgeon had to tell you that the foot had to be amputated? Well, Mr. Manny was very good to me now, in fairness, the whole lot. He, even his understudies there, the, the, the doctors, there was a young doctor, Maria. She, every time she passed the door, she, she dropped in and see what we was doing. And they were all excellent. And he came in to me one morning on his own. And he goes, the, the talent, she says, uh, the blood supply to your foot is, is, there's nothing there, really, he says. And, uh, he says, you have a great blood supply going right down, but it's not going to the foot. He says, we'll have to take away half your foot and see will it heal. And I said, look, if it don't heal, you'll be taking away the other half. He goes, that's right. I said, is there any other way out of this? And he says, look, have a think about it. So uh, a friend of mine who had his leg amputated, I was on the phone to him, Martin Carter. And it Martin was great. Help to me, Martin told me, look, look, if they can do what they did to me, 
I'd recommend it, and I'd said it to Mr. Mannion, and uh, and he took me back to tears. So, be honest, it was a bit of a shock, but I wanted to get it over with fairly quick, you know, because I was out to get so many weeks after fight. I'm going back to tears, I my mother, and uh, they took me back, and, and say, honest, from the, the minute the leg was taken, the pain that I had left, just left, just gone. And the, like, one man on the carter was telling me everything was happening. He says, Bobby, do you take a leg by your pain is gone? And, and is it the foot or is it is it up the leg? It's up the leg. He took it, it was about uh, six inches just, just below the knee, he took. And did you, did you have trouble adjusting or accepting that afterwards when you... when you, when oh, you... I did, I did. I, I, thought, I thought it was all over. Because like, I, I, I tell you, the worst, the worst part of this, he was that none of my family could, could come in to me. No. But two days, two days before they, were t- they took the leg, on the day before they took the leg, they left uh, Rena, which was Katrina, they left Katrina and, and uh, Charlene and one of my daughters and my eldest son in and they, they explained to them the best they could and uh, we were all uh, informed of what they were going to do and how how the recovery would be and what have you. But when they took the leg then I still had no visitors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was one stage where my grandkids were outside the window but I didn't realise you can see out, but you can't see in. <laughs> God, but uh, at least I got to see him, and I didn't get to talk to him. Are you're in a wheelchair now, is it? And will will you be fitted for I, a prosthesis? Do you think, or, or what? Well, I, I was in the mercy note this morning. That's that's where they go. You go to the the, the there's a centre inside in the mercy there that does all that, and even then, and I missed. I met three nurses and a doctor this morning. Each one of them interviewed me about what they're going to do and. What can I do for to help myself? And uh, they were great help. And uh, they they call me back now in a, in a few weeks, and they they measure me up. I'm in a wheelchair, which is which is rough. And uh, I, I pity anyone like that's in a wheelchair. That's okay. That, that does talk in it because it is it is very hard. No, sure, I, I can imagine. I don't know, like yeah, yeah. I, I, I I'm confined to the house. I can get out get out the front of the house all right and we, we set up to, to one of the cars that come around you know well it's been a, it's been a it, all of this has happened so rapidly in the last which is this in, just in the last six months last three months well three last three months really oh three, three or four months like like uh, like, uh, like uh, I, I finished work one and I didn't I, did, I didn't expect to be inside in the hospital getting my leg taken off you know? oh my god almighty yeah. When I came out then, when I came out of the hospital, I, I, like, I, I have a great circle of friends and family, and that's what got me through it. Yeah, and they're they're rallying round you now, of course. I mean, oh, they y- are, they you know, are. The, the whole idea, because oh. you're, you're only, like, you're only 61. I mean, as you say, there were younger people in the ward, but, you know, you're, you're 30 years driving taxis, and the idea is for you to, is to get back to work, isn't it? Well... I have a good few weeks off now, and I'd be honest, like, I, I, I'm confined to the wheelchair. Oh, I, well, I, I know I know that, but the, the the journey is to go from wheelchair to a prosthesis, uh, to, yeah, um, you yeah. know, to adapt the house, to get an automatic car, oh, yeah, to get yeah, back that's working. That's the plan, but, like, the thing is, like, uh, like, I have to build myself up to that. It's up to me to... to, to 
get a good mind. But yeah, and how are I, you mentally? Like, how's the form with you over all of this? Um, I tell you, I'll, I'll be honest. Me, I'll be very honest. I, I, at the start, I couldn't handle it. Like, I just, I just couldn't. I see my leg. Jesus, I got to fight in my life. I see my leg is going to go. I have to go, like. And uh, I just couldn't. I was thinking negative. There was nothing I, until... My top off, filed up to the house after I came out, Timmy Buck, he was another lad, and all the lads outside the taxi, Paul Inch, Madison, Billy Murphy, and Monty, all them. Yeah. They all filed up, unbelievable. And they, they even took me out for it, they came me out twice a week, you know. Aren't they unbelievable? The yeah, and they're they, unbelievable. You know, they're, they're, they're great friends. I mean, like, when you're sick, right, they're you really know who your friends are. <laughs> and, and I mean, that is the case with taxi drivers down through the years and bus drivers as well and train drivers. Ah, yeah. There's there's ah, a yeah. fierce sense of community, camaraderie and, um, you know, well, is, like, all for like one and one for all. There is, like in, in the taxi industries, I always tell you, they're like, we're lucky because we, we, we go to work, we have no buses, we have no one in yeah, charge I know, of us. I know, I know. And we're, we're all the same, but we, we're, we're taxi drivers. Well, you know and something, you've you, you got to build yourself up mentally and physically. Oh, you, yeah. men- you mentioned your sister, you call her Rena. I didn't know Katrina Toomey well, was, Rina, co- was Rina, called Rena in Rina the family. Rina. Yeah, from Penny Dinners. Oh, yeah. And you're Robert, very posh, Robert well, Lynch. Robert, that's <laughs> right. That's right. The only one that called me Robert was my mother, uh, Lord, Well, Katrina. Katrina and if Morris anyone, if anyone has caught me Robert I keep walking you know? <laughs> but, uh, All right. I'll stick to Bobby then well Katrina and Morris and Paul and lots of other friends of yours oh, and yeah. colleagues have put together this GoFundMe and the idea is to get Cork people to rally round to raise the funds to adapt the house to help you to get the automatic car you've got to do your own job which is to build yourself up physically and mentally because they said you spent 30 years helping others very quietly in your own way and it's time for all of us now to give back you know and that's the I, idea I appreciate that you know, I, I do really do and uh, I think the lads know really what kind of and if anybody's in trouble yeah we're all they're all, they're all our committee we have a strong committee we have African guys they, they, they're on the phone to me too the, the, the African drivers that's right and the, the, the Indian drivers like we, we, we all work together and we represent them. You know what I mean? We walk together. We might get on together. Well, I don't, I don't believe in arguing. Like, listen, you know I mean? the pain is gone. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a great thing. You know, you well, can... The pain, once the pain went, like, it was brilliant. You can use that as a building block back to work and to a happier yeah. life and to a more positive life. And we'll drive on... We're very much behind the GoFundMe. Uh, it's going to be shared on all of our Red FM social media pages and social media um, outlets and get the message out there that everybody can give as little as or as much as they want and we'll get as much as we can because, you know, you, you, we need to adapt aspects. You need to adapt aspects of your life, don't you? You do. Oh, yeah, I do, yeah. But, I, Neil, I really appreciate that. Everything I've done, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want this. For no, it was, it had nothing to do with you. It was done, oh, yeah, it was done yeah, for I, you, I, not I, by you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, when it comes to things like that, really, I'm kind of private. Yeah, know, well, you may be, but you're very helpful. You're very, as, as they say, very obliging, very kind, and always have been. And this is a time well, no, to. Oh, yeah, like, oh, like that's, that's the way, the way we were actually bottled, you know. Where were you born? Where were you born and reared? I was born uh, in Peacock Lane, in Jellygriffin Avenue, oh number my seven. God. Peacock Lane. And then yes. I was born actually in the house at, at the bottom of the stairs. I think Green, you know, Katrina, she she tell exactly because she she's the 
a few years older than me now Poch I know it no we all know Peacock Lane I used to walk it every single morning and afternoon to and from the man I know it well God almighty that's amazing it was like uh, it was a great uh, we were great neighbours down there I mean like my my gas you know the singer his mother and father his mother lad and often were all neighbours and the father was giant they they were were outstanding people they They were the best neighbours well look um this is about being neighbourly and being kind, as I say, or your GoFundMe, which is um, friends of Robert Bobby Lynch on GoFundMe. We'll share it on all yeah. the social media channels uh, and we'll, st- we'll stay in touch. So you look after yourself physically and and also, you know, the head health. Uh, you know, yeah. Stay positive. I will. Really, I know. I, I know myself. I, I get that because if I put my mind to something, I'll do it. I know. know. I mean, it's a big change. It's a big change to your life. You know. I mean, you know what is in the like, like, there's a lot of people out there like I'll be better if they don't even know it. You know. I know. And I know. Then, I know. I know. It all happened. It all happened so fast. As you say, it was too late for me, really. You know. Okay, but well, I, listen, it saved your life. Pain is gone. So is. you go from, gone. go from strength to strength now. Let's get as much money in as we can. Let's get the house sorted so, um, so you can move around comfortably. You have to have the automatic car and hopefully that will lead you to be back driving taxis again. That's the idea. Thanks a million, Brian. All right, Bob. I, to thank all the lads and all that. All, all right. right, we stay in touch and feel free to stay in touch yourself, okay? Cheers, my man. All right, God bless. Bye, thank Bobby. The great Bobby Lynch. <clears throat> and that GoFundMe for Bobby Lynch is now up on our Facebook and Twitter pages right now. If you'd like to check it out and give a couple of Bob if you can spare it, he's just a lovely, lovely guy. I would say that and somebody else would definitely say it. His sister, Katrina Toomey, or as she's known in the family, Rena. So good morning, Rena. <laughs> Hi Neil. <laughs> the, se- the secret yeah. is out. Rena to the family. So that's your yeah. lovely brother Bobby. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Robert. <laughs> she if say- anybody ever knocked at our door looking for Bobby, we'd turn around and say, Robert, you're wanted. He so, would never call Bobby at home by anyone. <laughs> so that's the little house on Peacock Lane that you were all rich. Yeah, a huge house all together. And uh, the, the interview had me crying and bawling until he came to the park when he said, I'm with you. He said, so I know everything. <laughs> I'm not, but the reason I know everything is because I used to listen to the stories they had to tell. And I, I used to be fascinated by my grandmother and my mum and dad and all the neighbours, you know, in the lane and up the arch and up the road. I envy you that. I wish to God I paid more attention back in the day to the stories. Oh. You obviously did. So one yeah. of them, I'm just on that subject, it was after I hung up from Bobby uh, chatting with them I, I made a connection with the house in Peacock Lane where you were all reared and your dad remember you told me years ago that your dad would go out on Christmas morning he'd disappear and you never knew where he was going nope, until he brought you go on tell us, tell us that story well, he used to just disappear. And, do you know, years ago, <clears throat> when we were all very young, you get selection boxes. Now you get selection boxes every day, but we get them once a year, and that was Christmas, like everybody else. They were only out then, and a big treat. And um, we wanted to open our, our selection boxes, but we weren't allowed until after dinner, and sometimes you wouldn't come home until five or six. And we would have to wait all day long, no matter what toys we got. <laughs> we wanted the selection boxes, and um, it caused kind of, you know, mayhem within us. Yeah, and, I know, um, you want your came, chocolates. Yeah, yeah. We came home one year then, and we were after writing a letter. I wrote the letter, and because I used to write to everybody, all my grand aunts in England and, and, and in America, and um, I... Um, 
I wrote a letter and we just sat in the stairs and he read the letter and it was just that, you know, we were neglected. We were the only children that wasn't getting our selection boxes and he didn't do anything, just put his hands around us because he, he, he kind of, you know, and he laughed and he says, come on, we'll do the dinner and get your selection boxes and whatever. And we did. So by the time we were finished, the big, huge dinner, we didn't want the selection boxes. I know, I know. We, we could open them and do what we want with but them. But when did and you discover where he that. actually was going on Christmas morning? The following year, he woke me up early and he took me with him. And it was, it started off as being, you know, it was about half four in the morning and it was pitch dark. And, you know, no, you get up a half four or you get up a five and it's nothing to you. But years ago, leaving your house at half four in the morning was really scary stuff, like, you know. And um, so we, we drove in the darkness and um, we went down to the College of Com and um, there was a kind of hustle and bustle people arriving. Like there was a load of soldiers coming and everybody seemed to be about the cooking. And there was my dad, like, you know, and he sorting out this, sorting out that, and do this, do that. And he, he asked me to peel the potatoes and then the carrots. He was saying, like, I'm only a child, I wouldn't, I didn't have to peel them at home because my grandmother and mother and father, like, they all lived in the house. And they were all brilliant at cooking, like, you know, so. And he had me doing this and I was, oh dear. And I was saying, Dad, do I have to do this? I want to go home. And he kept on saying, no, no, keep at it. Then he had me helping to lay the tables and to make the decorations, which would have been the old paper decorations. And oh, my God. And put them on the table and the crackers. And I was doing all that and there was things were getting a little bit better. But it was still very long. And I kept on saying, Dad, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and you're going to fine. And he said, go on. You know, and he, he How old were you? I'd say he was about 11 or 12. I was around confirmation age. And um, but I was very tall, like you know, the height I am now. I was that it was about yeah, ten and a half. Yeah, My yeah. brother is six foot six, and I'm six. So six you were there with your tall. dad prepping the yeah. Christmas dinner for the homeless, those that were having a bit of bad luck. For the poor, the poor. You know, there was yeah, the poor people and the elderly and people that lived alone. They would all come down and to the army would collect them and the guards would collect them and they'd bring them down and they'd take them home and at that time they'd all sit at the tables and they'd have there was a few drinks donated as well. They'd oh my their, god. Their with the black stuff and things like that and I was fascinated with all of this and a few songs would be And that lit the spark in you then as a young girl, didn't it? That you you know and your dad was doing this every Christmas unbeknownst to you guys. Yeah, but I still didn't even understand it. And then the part when I got to like it that morning was when people come in the world and you Tom's girl and I said, I am and uh, they were saying, Asher, your dad is one in a million, your dad is this and it's uh, and and your mum too and your grandmother and people were saying, uh, you know, I know your dad, I know your family and um and we come here every year like and we'd be lost without your dad and all the and everybody. That's amazing. So I was kinda feeling a bit proud then but don't ask me of what but I felt much happier then at that time of the morning when people started to kind of interact with me like and people would say see her that's Tom's girl you know Tom's daughter and Amazing. I was feeling really yeah I'd, and say, that's how it all I'd say you went home exhausted and starving to your own Christmas dinner later on that day do you know I was when we were going <laughs> my dad made trifle and there was no trifles like my dad and I was after having about five bowls of trifle <laughs> he went home with a stomach that was in knots Bobby was at home jealous and you coming in in oh, full yeah. of trifle and they, were, 
they were after getting their selection boxes because they all wanted to know where I was. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, this is that's a beautiful story. I remember you telling me that years ago about oh, your, yeah, about your wonderful just, yeah. dad. But this is yeah. this is Bobby's time now, and of course you'd be biased yeah. because he's your brother and you worried about him. And he yeah. himself, he he struggled. I mean, he was talking there. You struggle, obviously, an awful lot of pain, but mentally as well. It's it's a depressing time going through an amputation like that. It was very hard for him because it was very quick. Yeah. And he wasn't seeing anybody. We were all communicating by phone. And one minute, he, he would be, you know, optimistic about something. And the next minute, he'd be down in the dumps. And he, he was trying to make heads and tails of it all. And it was very, very difficult. And one minute, the toe was going to fall off because they sent to Germany for to get that, you know, those larvae stuff that they put into yes. the toe. And they yeah. sat in there to see what that worked. And they did everything and anything that they could to make that toe fall off, but it didn't. So there was a waiting game then for it to see what was going to happen. I know. And then they, they took it off and then they, he did get the abscess. And when he mentioned that, it was like he got a belt of a hatchet. That's what the foot actually looked like as it was cracked down the middle. Have and you, it was just awful to look at. And, um, and much of this was, was happening, of course, during all of this happened during COVID restrictions with regards to visitation yeah. and isolation and things. So it was very hard, yeah. you, know, you know. It was very hard for us. And then there was the decision about half the foot going or the whole foot going. And we were all saying, because of a procedure he had done before, we were saying it's best to take above and beyond if that makes any sense to you because he's unlucky that way. And um, so we were talking amongst ourselves. We were talking with him and um, he was talking to Martin Cotter and um, who explained everything in detail to him and was keeping the panic out of him because he was panicking quite a lot and he was upset and he was really upset like that he wasn't seeing his family. He was crying and um, like it was just hard all around. And he, he... you know, no matter what you know in life, when you're not a doctor, you react to things differently. Do you know? So the sense and sensibility kind of mm. left him and he was saying, what am I going to do? You know, and know. he didn't have a choice. I had to be what it is. So we did get in to um, speak with the doctor like a day before the operation and they broke it all down for us. And we were all kind of happy it would go from the just below the knee down. Yes, I know, I know. It would take it would take everything, less chance of it to spread. And just that was once and for all, yeah. So that there'll be no going all, back. Yeah. Well, he was always the first all his life to lend a hand and to organise fundraisers and look after his his friends and colleagues. And you know, this and he's a very humble guy. I mean, he's a very private man. It's not something that he's yeah. doing. But the you know, I, and. Um, Neil, he he was he wanted to come home then you know and he couldn't come home because there was obviously no ramp in the house and he was upset about that and you know like the, the undertakers had to come to take his leg to bury his leg oh, out I and know. I know and like everything was Isn't that amazing? what and um, that must no, have, yeah he probably wasn't aware that that's the process that that's no, the procedure no, we yeah. weren't we weren't either you know so like it, that all came and first of all we thought it was a joke like and then we realised it wasn't like so the, the guys from the funeral home in Collins and Chandler Street just did everything very amazing it, I wonder how many people yeah, actually knew that that happens yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and um, as I said that was another shock to the system but anyway he couldn't come home because he, he would have had to have a ramp that was up to standards and put in by a registered builder so he was saying what am I going to do because 
if he was waiting for somebody to come and do it from, from you know, appointed like to, to come and do it, he could be waiting for weeks upon weeks. So I rang him, a guy called Charlie Glavin of Blarney Window Systems. Charlie does all our work in penny dinners, you know, and he, he came in and did penny dinners for us with the Brennan brothers. And I rang Charlie, I said, Charlie, what are we going to do with Wash, you know? And Charlie said, leave her with me. And Charlie was up there two days later and then um, he had a, another guy up there with them and they said they'll do it and they'll, they marked it out and they did all of that. Like, And then when I said to Charlie, you know, how much is it like? And Charlie just refused to take any. It's amazing. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. It's amazing, the generosity of people. Yeah. So the idea now is, of course, he, like he will get a prosthesis to replace he the will. leg. Yeah. And ultimately, with rehab, get out of the wheelchair. The, the process yeah. now is to adapt the house so that it can, you know, to meet his new challenges in life and, 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 and ultimately to get him back working, isn't it? Yeah, the challenges are, you know, they're huge in the house. The bathroom was upstairs, right? So the bed had to be brought down to the living room. And that's just the one living room that they had in the house, like that they all share. So he also, he also has a, a stoma bag which makes life very very difficult mm. as well you know mm. and uh, so the fact that his bed is in the room and that he can't get up the stairs you know and um, and stuff is mm, making that part very very hard for him and, and it's upsetting him greatly yes but um, he can't even get into the kitchen to kind of make a cup of tea so he's he's really stuck in that because he was always a man about the house yes you know what I mean? but it can be done the work can be done if the funds come in yeah yeah. Uh, maybe maybe he left to move, but if the funds come in, we could do something with it, like because it does need a lot of um, the stairs are narrow, the hallway is narrow, you know, and like uh, he, w- when Robert wasn't at work, he was walking his dogs, you know, mm. so he'd always be down uh, in the Glen walking his dogs, you know, down through the fields yes, there, yes. and um, and the grandchildren as well with him and, and all of that. But, but he wants to ultimately get back to work, doesn't he? He wants to get back into a taxi. You know, he needs to for his mental health because the taxi guys like Paul and Morris and, and all Monty and the whole lot of them, like I know those guys and they're like family to him. You know, Billy, everyone, they're all just more than taxi drivers are our colleagues. That's they're right. like family to That's him. very important. And, and, yeah. and they work very, very hard on behalf of the other taxi yeah, drivers as yeah, well. Yeah. And like Robert used to make me laugh with on the phone and he'd be saying that it was lovely, the sense of community that's within the taxis with all the different nationalities ringing him. And he said he wasn't short of prayer because all the African drivers were ringing them were praying for you yeah. and they were praying you know and and you know that is really lovely because even when my dad died you know when we see all, all the different nationalities from taxi drivers showing up at the funeral it just meant the world to us that it's not just one it, it's kind of all of us it's and hugely important in his recovery it really is, it is yeah. hugely important it is and you know like what's what's also important is that when he does go back driving that you know that when he has the new leg fitted and all of that, the prosthetic limb fit when he had that done. He, you know, we, we were slagging and then trying to build up the spirits. And we were telling him he could go into the Paralympics, you know. And <laughs> we were, my grandmother used to watch the Olympics like there was no, she'd watch anything like a, a javelin going, she, you know, to discuss. No matter what it was, she'd watch the whole lot of them. And if there was anybody from Ireland, like she was glued to she used to nearly sit in front of the television. 
and we're always interested of an Olympian in the family well, that we might have one now. Could be, it could be Robert Bobby Lynch, you never know. <laughs> Robert Bobby Lynch, yeah. Let's, be, let's drive it on, let's drive it on. Um, the GoFundMe is up on our Facebook, it's up on Twitter, and I constantly remind people, and we'll give it a couple of weeks and see what happens in the space of a couple of weeks. There's a target of 20,000 on it. It was 2,000 when we started chatting, it's now 2,247. So let's get to that target and let's do our very best to achieve it for Bobby and um, give something back to a guy who's been given all his life. I think you'd agree with that at his brother, wouldn't you, as his brother? You know, uh, I, you know, he would be the first to help anybody. Yeah. Even if I ring him, like, you know, he always takes time, like you say, I already girl, like, you know, he'd never run straight into a conversation. He's always, he's that kind of a person. Yeah. And as you said, we were, we were brought up that way, like, we were brought up to, care and look after yeah well well done to all of the medical teams that worked with him operated on him and brought him you know brought him back from what we could be having a completely different conversation but thank god that's not the case and he'll be fit and well and back up and out again in the near future so it's gofundme guys check it out it's up online as we say you can also google it yourself if you so wish Uh, robert bobby lynch listen katrina we'll stay in touch is that all right with you Thanks, Neil, and thanks for this, you know, and I suppose when we mentioned the hospital, we mentioned all the staff because the girls that, you know, would bring the food, you know, and the cleaners and the porters, the whole lot, everyone popped in to see him up there and they were all just so good, like, you know, to him to keep his spirit up and the spirit of the other patients as well. And that's something we don't see, like, that the staff that are in there are doing that, like, to keep the morale up when they don't have the visitors and that's invaluable. So they were were great to him and we'd be forever grateful. All right. Mind yourself, Katrina. We'll talk again. Thanks for taking the call. Katrina Toomey at Penny Dinners and sister of the great Bobby Lynch. Bobby Lynch, GoFundMe. You'll find it on a Google search if you wish or a GoFundMe search even. It's also on Facebook and Twitter right now. Great to hear Bobby's voice on the radio. He was a doorman back in the day in Gatsby's nightclub in Dunmanway for many years. We'd just love to wish him well from Siobhan down Dunmanway Way. Another one here, Dunmanway Way. Morning, Neil. Just to let that gentleman know, my brother lost his uh, leg after a motorcycle knocked him down. He had lots of physio, got a prosthetic leg, bought an automatic car. He was only 34 years of age at the time, so I know a lot about what he's talking about and what it's like. Please, God, Robert will be fine once he has the new leg. Love your show. Sorry I can't go on air, but I'm far too shy. So, Maria, what you're saying is uh, your brother rose to the challenge and got on with his life and, uh, and moved on. Uh, worked with Bobby in true temper. Pure gent. What a great person, says Donald. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Any few, Bob, at all. Uh, Bobby Lynch, go fund me. Thank you. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Morris Keneally says, thanks for covering the story of Bob's GoFundMe. He thoroughly deserves all the helps you get, help he gets. I think Morris is actually one of those who originally set up the GoFundMe. So well done to you as well, Morris. Bobby's GoFundMe is up on the Red FM Facebook page now. And it's also on my Twitter, at NeilRedFM. You'll also find the Bobby Lynch GoFundMe in a GoFundMe search, if you just want to Google that, so you have opportunities to do it. Uh, but um, Oh, and just before I go for the day that's in it, remember last week we were talking to Joe, uh, who was on, he just came back this morning saying, you remember he was the victim of an online furniture scam artist, sent him some really dodgy stuff, an awful shocking looking headboard, you wouldn't light a fire with it. Uh, Dave 
Dave Tynan from Swan Beds came on board and came to the rescue. That's Swan Beds out in Vickers Road in Toker. And they offered Joe a choice of headboards at the weekend and they couldn't have been nicer and more obliging. So Joe came back just to say that and to pass on his thanks to Swan Beds uh, from Joe and all of the family. Our lines will stay open at one 850 I took a gamble this morning on Jeff Hurst and said that he played for Celtic. Apparently he did. So Jeff Hurst, a text came in from Sandy amongst others who said, I saw Jeff Hurst and George Best play for Cork Celtic with my late brother Rob. Great to see the legends playing for Celtic even though they were thought to be past it at the time. Well, I suppose at some stage we'll all be past our prime. Delay it as much as possible. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.